Well, the return of Colorado football is finally here, PMC fam, and welcome back to our weekly recaps. Thanks for tuning in over the summer at all of the program previews that we did and tuning in to all the players that we had to talk about for all the different programs over the summer. It was a lot of work for us, and uh, now we finally get to be here. We're going to be right on some things and maybe not be as correct on some things, but that's part of life in the media. And uh, yeah, we appreciate you guys sticking with us. For those who you know understand how much work we put in, we do appreciate the gratitude that we receive back. And so for those who are unfamiliar or maybe forgot since last year, the way that this kind of goes is we'll go through scores day by day, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, from this week one, including game recaps of games that we were actually able to attend. And then we're gonna just have some scores and maybe some storylines kind of sprinkled throughout there, especially in regards to like our power rankings teams, gonna check in on how they did these past few weeks and uh, hopefully have a good time here. Following the recaps of scores and games and game summaries and whatnot, we will be talking about our Playmakers of the Week, which is an ongoing series here where we feel, you know, by each classification, 1A, 2A, 3A, 4A, 5A, we talk about the players that impacted their individual game the most, whether it was coming up clutch in a very close victory or whether it's just a very dominant performance, right? So we're going to do that, and then we're going to update our power rankings 1A through 5A. This is voted on by Simon and I, and I will re- touch up on how we do that at the at the end of the episode but the very first thing we're going to do here is just go over some notable scores here from thursday's games and then we're going to go into fridays where i'm going to have a segment recapping the game that i went to coach v is going to have a segment recapping the game he went to and then the same will be repeated for saturday luckily we went to the exact same game on thursday so after i talk about these scores we'll do a more in-depth coverage of our game of the week from that time and so Looking back at Thursday's games, I mean, Golden played an out-of-state team in Sebastian River and just fell short 14-6. to I don't think that this is going to impact them too much in the power rankings, um, but, you know, it is something to just kind of note. Bear Creek got a big win over Lakewood for the second year in a row. Uh, Pomona took care of business against Thomas Jefferson. That's a game that they definitely should win. Northridge won a game that they should win against Gateway. Pretty big. I think uh, something notable to talk about here is Arapahoe's 10-3 victory over Legacy to retain, you know, their power status here. It is the very first win for that coach, so congratulations to Arapahoe on stop starting the season off. And as an alumni, I always like to shout them out, and uh, especially Charlie Eckhart, who's one of the more gifted junior wide receivers in Colorado. You know, he is responsible for the only touchdown of the Warriors in that game, so Kudos to Rappo for winning a close one over Legacy to start their season. Following that, Sam Beers in Air Academy throttled Liberty as they should. Yuma put on a big performance, winning 56-14 over 2A Sterling. Rock Canyon, who you know made the playoffs for the first time last year, continues to just pound teams with an aggressive running attack and came up huge with a home opening win against Pooter, 42-8. Following that, you know, our number one Buena Vista team did beat Salida 26-16. Silver Creek came back against Prairie View to win 38-18. Fort Morgan, the defending state champs in 3A, actually lose their season opener against a solid Conifer team 13-10 in a very defensively driven game. You also have Mountain Vista who won big against Heritage 35-7. 
Glenwood Springs came up short against Grand Junction, 13 to 21. Fairview beats Highlands Ranch High School, 29 to 21. Cedar Ridge beats Peyton, 27-0. Cedar Ridge, a team to kind of keep an eye on here on the 1A level behind a pretty solid quarterback. Green Mountain wins big against Hollins. Rampart wins big against Coronado, right? In some closer, more contested games, ones that had me kind of thinking about who might be Playmaker of the Week caliber kind of performances, I'd say that the Douglas County 23-20 win over Horizon was a pretty big one. Jake Stonebreaker was phenomenal in that game, might I add, and was just absolutely dominant in on both sides of the ball, I might add. But, uh, you know, he put up a great performance. Then you also have the very, very tightly contested between the 15th and 16th ranked teams in Colorado, Fossil Ridge and Loveland. Fossil Ridge outlasting Loveland 36-35 to in what was an insane game. Obviously, I feel like a lot of people in Colorado read too much into the classifications and are like, oh, of course Fossil Ridge should be a 4A team. But Loveland, I definitely think, is a contender on the 4A level, and the gap is not that big. And uh, Fossil Ridge, you know... They played a very similar-ish built team last year in Windsor and didn't quite pull it out. So it's very reassuring to see them overcome a very talented defense and for them to outpace this very run-heavy offense of the Red Wolves. So those were the games that we weren't able to attend that are kind of noteworthy from the Thursday slate. But as far as the game that we did attend, our game of the week on the Thursday, that is, it was the Denver South Ravens traveling up north to play Skyline here. And, you know, this game lived up to the hype, honestly. Skyline, on their opening drive, they show the Caden Box to Logan Miller connection that's just going to be so lethal this year. I think Miller had, let's see, it looks like four catches on this drive, including a tunnel screen from Box from about the 20-ish yard line to take a 7 to nothing lead with 7 minutes and 16 seconds in the first quarter here so you know Caden Box they're not asking him to do too much too early in this game a couple of swing passes a couple of slants you know they're able to get a few good runs on this drive too from Raw Carson here you know and the line on Skyline looks like they're going to dominate this game I mean they're just blowing open holes and blowing open this very talented Denver South team and then Denver South is coming off a little sloppy they have, I want to say, two or three face mask penalties or just penalties on this drive. You know, there was the play by Burke that was a huge tackle for loss on a jet sweep. But all in all, Skyline still scores on this drive. And, you know, the next drive here by Denver South is a three and out, including a dropped seam route. It is a little underthrown by Capra, but is definitely a catchable ball by Roadrunner Caldwell. So that was, you know, very uncharacteristic, but it would not be a sign of things to come. On the very next drive, you know, Skyline, they kind of get a bit of a benefit here. Caden Box kind of lays Logan Miller out over the middle. I do not advise this throw. I know that they obviously got a penalty out of it, but I think it was honestly just a very solid hit. And as a quarterback, you can't put your wide receiver in positions where they are going to get lit up. But, you know, following that, they, they get that first down from, from the personal foul, obviously. Then they have a run stuffed at the line. Then they get like an incomplete pass on a flood left where the receiver just gets jammed pretty hard. And then, you know, there's an excellent route by Logan Miller here 
on fourth down at about midfield. I mean, he just had the defender literally running in circles, and Box finds him for the first down. Then, you know, Denver South, they adjust to the run game. They start pinching on the defensive line here. It's starting to impact this skyline rushing attack. But, you know, on fourth down, once again, Caden Box has a nice throw on the run under pressure for a first down. I mean, the guy is in his face, and he just puts it in the only spot where his guy can make a play on it. They get a first down. And on the very next play, just as I was starting to think, hey, is this, you know, skyline rushing attack starting to fade, they just open a huge hole, and Raw Carson shows great burst up the middle to give Skyline a 13 to nothing lead here. So, you know, bounce back here. D South, they're back here. They have a really nice catch by number two, you know. Uh, over on the right sideline, it's a deep pass. You know, there's definitely a little bit of hand fighting going on, but I'm glad that the refs just let this kind of play itself out. The corner and wide receiver are both kind of pushing each other, nudging each other. And number two gets a great adjustment on the ball and makes a catch in bounds. And then, you know, there's a fade route to Rashad Caldwell here from Joseph Capra. You've seen him do it once. You've seen him do it twice. You've seen him do it a million times. It's just routine for them. And, uh, you know, Capra puts the ball in a place where only Caldwell can make a play on it. And they pull this game back within a score. Then, you know, there's tough. The defense for Denver South steps up significantly on this next skyline drive. It's definitely a back and forth kind of game here. And that just continues to happen as Denver South here rips off a long run on the heels of Joseph Capra. He outlasts the secondary on the way to a 50 plus yard rushing touchdown and giving Denver South a 14 to 13 lead here. So, you know, that that comes up. But, uh, you know, Skyline, they get the ball back here and just don't have a whole lot of luck as, you know, they get sacked. You know, there's nice pressure from this Denver South defensive line, honestly. You know, Box did have a nice completion over the middle for a first, but then, you know, just a little bit too much air on another one, and then, you know, a sack. And then following that, obviously, you know, South gets the ball back here, and they have a rush of seven. Then Capra gets stuffed at the line. Then there's another rush for a first down. And then Capra hits a big pass down the left sideline to number 17 on this roster. Or at least who's listed on Max Preps, Jake Peruccio. He hits him big down the left sideline. And then, you know, Denver South is just creating huge holes up front. And they are pounding it here. And, you know, they eventually score again with Capra up the middle and send this game into halftime, you know, with a 21 to 13 lead. Uh, Skyline just getting out of the half with, you know, a couple of screens and, uh, you know, a couple of draw plays to get us into the halftime here. Out of the half, though, not really a whole lot of action. Both teams just kind of exchange uh, possessions here. And then, you know, Skyline, they end up with just a pretty bad punt, honestly. Uh, the rugby punts just aren't really working for them. And this is after both teams have a possession. And then Denver South, they come back, miss a fade route here. And then, you know, Maddox for this Skyline team. And he's going to be one of the great defenders of the 4A level this year, for sure. He's a player to definitely keep your eyes on. Uh, Maddox just blows up this next play. And then, you know, on third down, Capra steps up. He does miss a more open guy on the backside who I think was matched up with a linebacker. 
and throws a slightly more contested pass. I say the pass was like fairly on target, but doesn't quite get there. And Denver South has to settle for a field goal, making it 24 to 13. And then this next skyline drive, they come out swinging, you know, uh, raw Carson kind of muffs, not really muffs, but you know, stumbles out the gate on the kick return, but still takes the kick to the 26. And then box just hucks it to Miller who climbs a staircase. He has a massive vertical and just huge catch radius and makes a tremendous catch on the right side. And then, you know, on the very next play, Box kind of tries to force a pass, doesn't really work, but then there's a swing left to Raw Carson to for set up third and three. Skyline then takes a timeout with five minutes left in the third. And then Logan Miller has a sweet catch and run on this kind of, let's see, let's take a look at the play again. Go ahead and look at our Twitter, by the way, at Playmakers Corner for some of these highlights but he hits Logan Miller just perfectly over three defenders in front of the fourth one, and Miller does the rest, taking it up field and scoring here. So that makes it a 21-24 to ball game, and then Skyline, they come out brazy here, and they recover the onside kick with just over four minutes left in the third quarter. It was a crazy week for special teams for sure. But then you have box to Miller once again a couple of times. Eventually, they end up on third and 10. They do a tunnel screen. And so they, they're set up in a fourth down here after the tunnel screen. And they get the defense offsides for the first down. And so they have the ball on the 40 before South makes a great tackle against the run. And then following that, you know, Box throws this pass a little late, but the defender is holding uh Bridwell here so they do get a few yards on a defensive holding call and then on third down the pass just isn't quite there and this game is once again tied up at 24. so just an insane back and forth game here and uh Denver South with the ball back here on they're still in the third quarter I want to believe and so number 76 on Skyline swallows up the initial run and then they get Skyline offsides. Capra overthrows Caldwell here. But then on fourth and real short, like it's fourth and maybe a yard, maybe a yard. There's some talk in the stands about handing it off to number 40 on South, I believe, who's their big fullback kind of guy. They hand it off a little bit later, but they just hit Caldwell on a quick hitch route or quick out route, and they get the first down here. Following that, uh, Capra, he doesn't really see anything that he likes. And he runs for a first down, including hurdling a defender. Overall, Capra's just a very athletically gifted quarterback here. And, uh, you know, Evan King for Skyline, he makes a really good tackle on a missed cutback lane by the Denver South running back. But that won't stop South from scoring as a pass ends up getting tipped up into the air on an open guy that Capra sees a little bit late. But it still falls into number two's hands, who I believe is CJ Morm, or at least is listed like that on Max Preps. And uh, he stays on his feet and extends to give Denver South the 31-24 to lead. And following that, Skyline, they go three and out. But then the snap, which was kind of, you know, a bit of an issue for Skyline all day. The snap goes awry. And Denver South gets the ball at the one-yard line going in. And Capra finds Caldwell on a quick out route to take a 38-24 lead. 
Skyline. They go three and out here, and there's about five minutes left in the game. And I definitely think that they probably should have gone for it here because, I mean, South is going to end up scoring anyway. Um, but, you know, at this point, they, they punt and essentially punt away their last chance of winning this game. Capra, he gets kind of a garbage time touchdown but still that makes the final score of this thursday night game 45 to 24 this game was a lot closer than it looked there's definitely just i'd say overall synopsis of this game that you know the skyline offense came out clicking really well and the offensive line was looking good but then i think that they just weren't as conditioned maybe because you had some linemen that I could tell were cramping up a little bit. They started to look tired here at the end of the game when they really needed to have their foot on the gas and hurry up. And Denver South eventually just figures out this offense that is running, you know, bubbles, slants, tunnels, and, you know, off tackles. You know, so the simplistic offense kind of catches up to Skyline here in the end. And then, you know, eventually the Denver South offense is going to take off. They obviously looked a little rusty out the gate, but I mean... Roadrunner Caldwell is one of the best receivers in the state. Capra put the state on notice with a six-touchdown performance in this game and is definitely one of the candidates for Playmaker of the Week. And that is all that we had from Thursday's action as far as games that we attended. Now to kind of recap some Friday games before Simon and I recap games that we actually attended here. You had a pretty interesting score here. Uh, Resurrection Christian really puts it to Moffat County, 36-6 to here in their first game as a 3A program. You have Arvada beating out Prospect Ridge, but still not putting in stats. Uh, Stanley Lake, a team who, you know, I wasn't so sure on after hearing that their quarterback wasn't going to be playing this year, comes out with a pretty big win over Monarch, as they should, 38-13. to You have Roosevelt and Palisade, who are both top 10 squads on the 3A level. Roosevelt at home, and Bronco Hartson in his debut under center, has a phenomenal game. You know, Roosevelt ends up winning this game 35 to 18. Not to say that Palisade wasn't doing their thing as well. I mean, they ran for 218 yards with the same guys, you know, Malachi Espinosa running for 120 and throwing two touchdowns to one interception. So it looks like as a passer, maybe he's taking a step forward. Rhett Ward here had another 64 yards. Uh, Phelan Salvati was a little quiet though, being held to 3.4 yards per carry. But I mean, it's the same Palisade team that we looked at heading into the season, but I think that they were just a little outmatched by how many weapons this Roosevelt team has. I mean, like I said, Bronco throws three touchdowns, two of them to one of the best receivers in the state in Tucker Peterson. Bowie Schmitz had a really long reception for 43 yards and a score, but Tucker is still going to be the focal point of this receiving attack. And then in the backfield, you know, Ryan Doucette has an incredible game, averaging 12.1 yards per carry. Xavier Ramirez, who's a junior, has an incredible game, also averaging 12.1 yards per carry. And overall, this backfield produces 10.8 yards per carry and two touchdowns. Not to mention that, you know, this defense is still very strong up front. 13 tackles for loss, including a team leading three from senior Andrew Lara, somebody who we didn't get to see as much last year. And then just as I projected, Ryan Doucette was going to be doing his thing on defense. Seven tack total tackles, one for loss. And uh, yeah, that Roosevelt team is just going to continue to be quite the force here. And they also get, like I said, an interception from Ryan Doucette as well as a pass deflection. So some of the guys who I definitely talked about in the preseason preview come to shine here. Nothing against Palisade, just a really tough opponent to start the year off against. Then far Northeast Warrior High School here, 
Woo-wee, they were cooking against Westminster. I just want to shout these guys out uh, because, I mean, their running game was absurd. They ran for 464 yards, including two guys here who ran for over 100 yards. You have the duo senior backfield of Draymond Jackson. That's somebody that Coach V talked about in the offseason. He ran for 137. And then you have Antavius Hughes here who ran for another 117. So shout out to that far northeast win over... Westminster, Montevista takes care of business against Rocky Ford in a huge 3A matchup between Palmer Ridge and Montrose. Palmer Ridge outlasts this Montrose team 35 to 28. Both these teams are, you know, constantly producing just fantastic matchups. And Derek Hester, he stays out of the turnover category, which is key to Palmer Ridge's success this year. And this Palmer Ridge backfield runs for 228 yards, including Derek Hester's team leading allegedly 120 yards so you know palmer ridge once again they're in that conversation to be a contender on the 4a level i'm sorry if i said 3a castleview here takes care of business at home against doherty 31 21 george washington wins big against hinkley here littleton outlast sierra despite lots of health concerns from this past week including starting running back and even backup running backs going down in this game it was a pretty tough one, but they just last long enough. Want to shout out Lutheran for facing a very talented school in another Lutheran in an out-of-state matchup. They lose this one 26-16, but I'm not going to punish them. This Lutheran, this other Lutheran team, I should say, went 12-2 last year and avenged last year's loss. Wiggins gets a huge win over Brush in a very balanced offensive attack with Cole Kerr and that backfield winning 27-7 over Brush here. Then Burlington versus La Junta. I know it's 2A versus 1A, but La Junta still outlasts this pretty solid Burlington team to win 42-34. to Widefield gets a very nice win over Harrison here, 26 to nothing. Fountain Fort Carson, you know, was playing pretty close here to Falcon for a lot of this game before blowing it open near the end, winning 49-21. to Riverdale Ridge outlasts Mountain View here for a one-point win, 21-20. to Broomfield, you know, Coach West went to this game and we were talking about it a little bit and he live tweeted it. Go ahead and check him out on Twitter for sure. But Broomfield, I mean, Cola Crew is an absolute dog. They also had a very solid performance out of one of their defensive guys in Garrett Creeler, who I believe had like 10 tackles and like three for loss or something like that. So, you know, they win big against Longmont here and avenge both of their losses from last year. You have Steamboat Springs beating Cole Ridge 17-6. Steamboat being brand new to 2A. Then you go down this list. Fruita Monument wins a very close one over Grand Junction Central 14-7. So, you know, that bodes well for them in our power rankings. Speaking of power rankings that bode well, Evergreen wins 56-8 over Battle Mountain. That is a game that they should win, but, you know, it's good to see that they're winning it in dominant fashion. Strasburg overwhelms Holyoke with just great performances out of the backfield, and Landon Martin looking like he's playing a little bit smarter football. Defending state champs on the 1A level, Centauri takes care of business against Pagosa Springs, 33-zil. After that, you have a big matchup in Legend versus Vista Ridge. Legend surprising a lot of folks around the state showing that you know the the sophomores that they had from last year were ready to take over as well as the juniors they beat vista ridge 47 to 43 in a wild shootout filled with lots of turnovers from the vista ridge squad 
and uh, you know, lots of big plays by the Titans. Following that, Elizabeth gets a big win over Devlin High School on the 2A level, 38 to 24. Same with Berthed over new program Timnath here. Basalt outlasts Eagle Valley for a 39-16 win. Delta with a very comfortable win over University, 24 to nothing. Before Meade on the 3A level beats 4A Windsor, 35 to 34. They ran crazy with a lot of help from guys like Danny Brewington and Sean Medlock out of the backfield, and then played that consistent brand of Mead football, playing Mead tough and just being very good on the defensive side of the ball. They are not going to go away anytime soon, it looks like. Holy Family just outlast Frederick here, winning 27 to 26 in the new debut of, or in the debut of new coach Matt Lloyd at Frederick. I don't think that this is necessarily a bad loss, both these teams, I think, could have played a little bit better, and that'll be an overall message from week one, but it was a very exciting matchup decided by one point. Severance wins their very first game on the 3A level, 21-5 over Canyon City. Grandview gets a huge win over Overland, as they should. Durango gets a massive win over Farmington. And then, in one of the biggest surprises of the week, Ponderosa upsets Erie 39-27 behind a vicious defense and a stellar performance out of their senior quarterback who, you know, we weren't sure what to expect, but Zach Stryker, I mean, he runs for 88 yards, he passes for another 114, overall is responsible for three touchdowns, and then Ethan Rodriguez rushes for over 100 and a pair of scores, but this defense was what Simon was praising very heavily going into the season, and they lived up to the hype, I'd say, with five tackles for loss and just constantly being in the face of Blake Barnett. Furthermore, uh, Pueblo County gets what I would say is an upset win over Pueblo South, 27-12. Greeley West, shout out my Greeley West boys out there who have gotten their first varsity win in a few years, beating Mountain Range 23-7. Rocky Mountain blank Chaparral here in this 5A matchup, 20-zil. Northland gets a win over Adams City, 27-7. Thunder Ridge outlasts Arvada West in a crazy game between two teams that we are very high on. Ethan Cook threw for over 300 yards, but that was not enough to overcome this Thunder Ridge rushing attack that itself, I believe, ran for over 300 yards. So, obviously, a very exciting back-and-forth game there, but one that ultimately ends in a Thunder Ridge victory. In 2A news, in an upset of Titans here, the TCA Titans actually beat the Eaton Reds 19-16, showing that they are a serious contender on the 2A level, and they will be shaking up our power rankings just a hair. But it was a battle between our number one and number two ranked 2A schools, so that is to be expected. Discovery Cannon gets a 29-21 win over Lewis, uh, Lewis Palmer. My bad, I can't even speak, and I do podcasting. But uh, more on that in a bit. Meeker has a huge opening win on the 1A level against North Fork, 28 to nothing, with a lot of hands on deck. Ray puts a running clock on Highland, winning 46 to nothing and getting their backups in. Pueblo East hammers Cheyenne Mountain, 47 to 18. Lyman, in a big statement win to start the season, wins 20 to three over 2A Florence here. More on that in a bit. Columbine runs crazy over Mullen. They didn't even throw a single pass, according to stats, and that was enough to win 42-19. to 
Gunnison puts a lot of people on notice here with a 45-0 win over Aspen, one that I got incorrect. Eagle Crest shows that they are back into swing on the 5A level, beating Brighton 47-14. Mesa Ridge has a quarterback that goes berserk in Bryce Reel, throwing for five touchdowns and a 55-13 win over Kennedy. Cherokee Trail beats defending 4A state champs Chatfield 20-10. Pine Creek on the road in Las Vegas has a fantastic trip, winning 43-3 and a game where everyone is getting to run the ball and throw the ball a little bit and just thrashes them. Pueblo Central beats Alamosa 40-29 in a game that I predicted incorrectly. Defending 5A state champion Cherry Creek takes care of business against Ralston Valley, winning 35-21 in a game that Dave Logan said he had circled on his calendar, and this predates a trip to Ohio. Not a lot of road games really seem that bad after facing an, a team in Ohio, so they got St. Edwards up next on the docket. If you're wondering what was happening in the Regis versus Valor game, I actually have that full recap. And so let's go ahead and dive into it. And then following that, one of our games of the week was Pueblo West hosting Dakota Ridge, which Coach V will catch you up on right after this. But let's talk about the marquee matchup of Regis Jesuit versus Valor Christian. This game is at Valor Stadium, and I was able to attend it after work. I work literally right across the street from Valor. So if anyone wants to say what's up, I am right around the block over at Eastridge. But anyways, you know, in this game, obviously both of these teams come in with very heavy expectations every year. Valor is debuting new coach to the program, Brett McGatlin who's fresh off of a state championship at Chatfield High School. So that's something a little exciting, as well as, you know, three-star recruit in Sawchuck. So in Gabe Sawchuck, that is, not to be confused with his older brother, Gavin, who is off doing his thing at OU. But, you know, Regis, obviously, they come in. They Their season ended against Cherry Creek last year. So, you know, this game is always a very intense game. And, uh, you know, last year wasn't as competitive. Valor did win 24-6. to but this game might be a little bit different here. So let's go ahead and talk about it. Ballard gets Regis offsides multiple times on the opening drive. I noted it at the third time that they did it. And, you know, McGatlin is still running that kind of wildcat offense over at Ballard. They have the direct snap that's working. You know, Roman Bradley benefits off of this and gets inside the 20-yard line before Hayden Moore starts doing his thing for Regis and is stuffing some runs and forcing third and 10 from the 15 going in. Quarterback here is not going to be junior quarterback uh, Weiner. It is actually going to be senior quarterback Ethan Carlson taking snaps. And so he feels the pressure and escapes the pocket, runs for seven. And the Regis pass rush has a few weapons per usual before a direct snap leads to a first. But then number two on Valor fumbles on the two going in, and it is Regis's ball. Regis starts off, almost gets tackled for a safety, but gets to the one-yard line before gashing for four and setting up third and eight. There's a rollout pass to number 83, Grayson McPherson. Remember that name for later, and he picks up a first down. But then, you know, another run is absolutely swallowed up. Then Xander Carroll, the quarterback, does a keeper for five yards. And then there is a bad snap. So Valor, they get the ball back with four minutes and 20 seconds left in the first. Hayden Moore gets a sack. 
And then, you know, number 16 on Regis is tackling a little high. Sachuk is able to escape that first tackle. And he tries to run all the way back across the field. And this is where number 17, DeAndre Barnes, comes in, catches up, and makes a good tackle. They then run a mid-screen to number two for 11 yards and set up a field goal. The kick is good. Valor has a three to nothing lead with 224 left in the first. Bridges Jesuit gets the ball back. They go deep on the first throw, but Xander Carroll just overthrows the pass here. And then there's, you know, a little bit of, ah, there's just a couple of struggling plays here and they end up having to punt and the punt is terrible. But, you know, Valor is at the 47 with a minute 14 left in the first. And number two fumbles for the second time and Regis recovers on their own 37-yard line. And so with a minute left in the first, Regis has already used their second timeout of the half. And the first quarter hasn't even ended. Carroll overthrows a receiver again before hitting a quick hitter to number seven for a first. They run a hurry up and Anthony Medina rips off a monster run here. It was a 51 or 52 yard run. The Regis line did a great job. There's even a huge pancake on the video on our Twitter if you wanna check that out. And Medina gives Regis their first lead of the game for seven to three. Valor then begins the second quarter at their own 25. Hayden Moore and number 56 on this Regis Jesuit squad according to the roster, David Zabellin, I wanna say, uh, makes a tackle here at the line of scrimmage and forces, you know, a third and three. The quarterback, Carlson, runs with authority and falls forward for a 13-yard run, and the keeper fools me, and, you know, they they end up getting a big seven-yard gain here. Then, number 24 in this Regis secondary, Lawson Douglas gets a pass deflection downfield before a third and three, you know, ends up for a run. Then there's a quarterback keeper that gets swallowed up, Hayden Moore blows up a run again, and then there is an overthrow. Ends up being Regis's ball, and the ball just, I'm not even really sure what happened here, but Carroll tries to step up in the pocket and make something happen, and Trey Stott gets an interception and sets Valor up in very great position. Valor, they just ground and pound for a first down, and then... You know, they set up first and goal at five, eventually just constantly running the ball. There is a short rollout thrown in there to number two for a first down. But, you know, that Valor team, they're very disciplined. They get Regis to jump off sides and Sawchuck walks it in for a touchdown, making it 10 to seven for Valor here. Before the half, you know, Regis gets a couple of decent runs here and they end up with a field goal and make the score 10 to 10 heading into halftime right out of halftime Regis gets the ball here and the Valor defense comes out swinging I mean they just flow with the run they blow up a jet sweep number 53 on Valor fills in a gap quick and hard for no gain or maybe even a one yard loss on a run and number 53 that is according to Max Preps going to be Owen Downing I suppose and then a speed option by Regis Jesuit also gets blown up and they need to punt from their own eight. Stott makes a very, you know, big move here, kind of diving to not let this punt bounce after a fair catch and gets the ball on the 38 going in. You know, number two gets a power run here for six yards. Sachuk goes around the outside on the right for a first down and then holding on number 88 pushes Valor to third and 14. 
before two drops a touchdown and Valor misses a field goal here. Following that, Regis, you know, they get a few runs here. Carroll keeps for a first down. Number seven for Regis does end up limping off the field, and that is a little bit of a concern considering how little the pass game was moving the ball here. And, you know, eventually Regis has to punt. Now, there is a crazy play here. It's Regis punts. And the punt appears to be muffed by Valor and recovered by Regis. However, it was, you know, interference on the Regis punt team. And so Valor gets set up on the 50-yard line here. And there is a direct snap that goes all the way for a touchdown from Roman Bradley here to put Valor ahead with 3 minutes and 24 seconds left in the third. But this is responded by DeAndre Barnes, who does rip down the left sideline here for a big gain and ties it up 17 apiece. And this is the score heading into the fourth quarter. And so to start the fourth quarter, Valor actually does muff a punt and Regis recovers on the 47 yard line going in. But there's an overthrow here and then penalties. You know, this game was just kind of a very sloppy game on both sides. You know, Valor is just turning the ball over a little too easily with, you know, silly interceptions and fumbles in particular and just look a little, you know, bad not or losing the football, I should say. In Regis's side, they were just committing a lot of silly penalties like false starts and offsides, just stuff that discipline is going to be probably the point of focus for in practice this week. But regardless, you know, there's some mistiming and Valor ends up with the ball on their own 17 with 10-20 left. Uh, 56 on Regis makes a play once again. Before on third and three, Trey Stott takes a very short pass. It's just a quick little out route down the left side. And he rips it up the left sideline and is eventually caught, but sets Valor up inside the 20-yard line going in. But illegal motion puts Valor back on the 21-yard line before, you know, 24 on this Regis squad. He remains disciplined. He remains in his gap. Lawson Douglas makes a tackle here and on a reverse. And Valor takes a timeout with seven minutes remaining in the game, two remaining for the half, that is. And then there's a tunnel screen for six yards before there is a rollout by the quarterback here. He has to escape the pressure from 34 who's in his face, and he just kind of throws it up. And number one on this Regis squad, Josiah Harris, jumps this pass perfectly, ends up getting tackled in the end zone and setting up Regis on the 20. They then get a run for a first, and Xander Carroll really shows his worth as a runner on this drive, doing a keeper, having agility and quick cuts to get a first down. He throws a quick hitch for a completion for six. You know, great blocks and enough speed has Carroll reach for a first and sets up third and one. He does do a really nice keeper read that fools the end and freezes him for six yards. Valor takes a timeout here with two minutes and 18 seconds remaining. They have two more runs, including another Xander Carroll power here for a first down. And with a minute 20, they have the ball in the 24 going in. And it looks like Regis could potentially win this game. It looks like they're playing it safe and want to set up a field goal here, which is exactly what they line up with one second left. And so with one second left, Regis lines up to kick the game winning field goal. And it is blocked by Valor forcing this game that is already so exhausting 
into overtime where Valor gets the first shot at the ball. And so, you know, with, with the ball first, you know, uh, number one, actually, Josiah Harris gets in the QB's face and forces a tough incompletion. Number 56 for this Regis team. You've heard him once. You've heard him twice. You've heard him a million times. David Zabellin, he's having a huge impact game. He has a massive tackle on third down. And on fourth and five, Valor attempts a field goal. And it is just left outside of the uprights. And with the opportunity to beat Valor for the first time since 2010, Regis gets the ball. And on the first play, Xander Carroll hits his tight end. Grayson McPherson. Yes, the one from the first drive who caught the first down. He hits him and Regis storms the field. Leading to Regis's jump in our power rankings for sure and a slight slide for Valor. Look, when Coach V was predicting this game, he said that the way that Valor would have to win this game is by playing turnover-free, mistake-free football. They did not do that and end up losing this game by six. Final score, 23 to 17. And an absolute crazy moment for Regis, who had lost to Valor prior to this, I want to say four or five times in a row. Like I said, their last win over Valor was another close one at Valor Stadium, 25 to 21 in 2010. So Regis has got to be feeling really good. And Regis is a team that, you know, for the past few years has kind of been stuck on the outside, I'd say, looking in, getting stopped by teams like Pomona and Valor Christian and Cherry Creek. But maybe this year could be different for Regis, who pulls out this really close win. Their offense does just enough. And they win this game without three-star prospect Andrew Metzger, who, you know, I'm not sure what it was. Maybe it was a concussion. Not, wasn't able to piece it together, I should say. So if anyone has any information on that. But Andrew was not playing this game. He was not in pads. And so if they're able to win this without, you know, one of their great players, honestly, that goes a long way for Regis. Their defensive line looks very vicious this year. Their offensive line was able to provide a lot of holes. And if they can get their deep passing game sorted out and more consistent, this will be a very big year for Regis Jesuit. Overall, you know, this first week, like I said, lots of penalties by Regis. That's their focus heading into next week. But they got to be happy with the run game that they have. And Valor... They just have to clean up the turnovers and play a little less sloppy. I think that you could tell during this first week that the refs were a little flag happy, setting a precedent for the rest of the season, which I'm totally fine with. So there's maybe some calls that are a little soft, but that is totally, totally fine. Congratulations to Regis. And coming up, we have Coach V recounting the 4A big matchup between Dakota Ridge and Pueblo West. What's good, y'all? Welcome back to the Playmakers Corner Podcast. I am one of your hosts for today, Simon Villanos, a.k.a. Coach V, and I'm going to bring to you the coverage of this Dakota Ridge and Pueblo West game. Happened yesterday at the time I'm recording this. Uh, the game happened August 26, 2022. And so let's go ahead and hop into this one. This was a good one between Dakota Ridge, who we had at number two, and Pueblo West, who in our power rankings, we had at number five but let's hop into this one this was a battle between dakota ridge 
at Pueblo West. And here in the first quarter of Pueblo West, they would receive first. Jacob Trader, he gets the party started with a nice 20-plus yard rush. But right after that, a Gavin Lockett goes ahead, takes aim. I believe it was either a hitch or curl route, and the ball is tipped. And Calvin Ward of Dakota Ridge makes an excellent interception on that play. So there you go there. Unfortunately, though, Dakota Ridge really could not get anything going. There was a tackle for loss um, on second down, setting up a very long third down, and then an, a Paladino incompletion. And so they would go ahead and punt it and pin them at the 15 here. And so here we go, Pueblo West, they would go to work, settle down a little bit as well. They would actually find themselves in a very big third and long situation after a couple nice plays from this Dakota Ridge defense. Also a false start on Pueblo West, but Gavin Lockett would go ahead and bail them out of that one, scramble for 20 yards and a first down. Following that, Jacob Trader would also go ahead and contribute with a nice 23-yard rush for another first down, crossing midfield. Uh, once they cross midfield, Gavin Lockett once again escapes the pressure and completes a very nice 13-yard uh, pass for another third straight first down here. So there you go. After that, a couple plays later, they get another first down and they get into the red zone. But like I said, a couple plays later, they find themselves in a fourth and one situation. And instead of kicking the field goal, West decides to go for it. And so they go ahead and hand it off to Gavin Henderson, who gets a first down on a nice halfback dive. And then number 11 for Pueblo West. This is a guy that we're going to talk about quite a bit here. That is 6'5 sophomore receiver Brock Keck. Uh, by the way, I think he already broke a Pueblo West receiving record through the first two games. And we're going to talk about him more, like I said. But he comes up with a very nice catch here. Goes up and gets it. Bodies his DB. But is ruled just short of the touchdown. And so there you go. But uh, Gavin Henderson, he goes ahead and takes care of it, grabs a touchdown here, and goes ahead and grabs the lead for Pueblo West as they do take the 7-0 lead early on in this game. So here we go, Dakota Ridge. They take over on offense, and they are looking to pound the ball with Noah Triplett. And that's what they do as they do get the ball at the 35. But Noah Triplett basically carries his offense to two first down. Like I said, them really relying on him early on. And then after that, it is third and six. They hand it off to Noah Tripley here, and he gets tackled by Jacob Trader and Max Pence for no gain. And so that brings up a fourth down situation right before the quarter ended here. And so here in the second quarter, the start of the second quarter, Dakota Ridge decides to go for it. But unfortunately, the pass is dropped. And so Pueblo West goes ahead and gets the ball starting on the 38. On sorry, on the uh, on their own 38 going forward. And so a couple plays later, it is third and four for West. Gavin Lockett goes ahead, takes off, rolls out left, I believe, and completes a beautiful 20-yard pass down the left sideline. I believe that is Brock Keck once again coming up with a huge catch to go ahead and give them the first down there. But this Dakota Ridge defense came to play. They go ahead and get a huge sack on first down. Then they stuff a screen on second down, making it third and long. And then it's Walker, I want to say is Moench, I want to say number 91. He goes ahead and tracks down Gavin Lockett for a nice sack on third down 
forcing Pueblo West to punt it. And this is a great punt. I believe it's actually Gavin Lockett who punted this one, but uh, he pinned them inside the five on the three yard line and so there you go Dakota Ridge has uh, basically the length of the field to drive here and so they make they call a couple plays here a couple short passes nothing deep they eventually do call a run on third and short but Noah Triplett is stopped by Jacob Trader who is having a great game um, basically at this point and so Dakota Ridge they go ahead and decide to punt it during the return there's an illegal block and so that kind of pushes Pueblo West back a little bit here and so they go ahead and take over on um, their their own 30 yard line after a couple plays it's third and 11 especially after a huge tackle for a loss by Dakota Ridge uh, Gavin Lockett scrambles out and finds number 11 once again he is wide open and this is Brock Heck the sophomore for a 53-yard gain, but unfortunately, the pass is called back on a holding play, and so, um, unfortunately, that's called back, but they eventually get the first down. Obviously, it's not a 53-yard uh, gain, but they are pushed back a little bit. Still got the first down, though. Couple plays later, it is third and 11 after two big run stuffs by Dakota Ridge. They go ahead and try to air this one out, but Dakota Ridge is there, and that sets up a, another punt, which puts Dakota Ridge at the 24. And so here we go, Dakota Ridge, they're trying to get something going. Paladino, he finds this guy Jack Stewart for a nice 15-plus yard um, gain here, but there's a stuff, a drop, and another incompletion for Dakota Ridge, who is just struggling to find some sort of rhythm here in their passing game. And so that brings up another punt. And so Pueblo West, they go ahead and take over on the 25 uh, with about 2 minutes left, 1 minute 57 seconds left. And so here we go. Number 11 for them once again makes a huge catch here. Once again, that's Brock Keck uh, on the sideline for a good 40-yard gain that goes ahead and crosses them over midfield. That play would be huge, setting up Pueblo West in a position to potentially score right before the half and make it a two-score game. Unfortunately, a couple plays later, things don't quite go Pueblo West's way. And on third down, Gavin Lockett is sacked before they score. And so it brings up fourth down with about 48 seconds left. And Pueblo West decides to kick the field goal, which is pretty close. I'd probably say it's around a 30-ish yard field goal. And when they kick it, the field goal appears to have been uh, blocked or deflected at the line. And so it stays a 7-0 game. Dakota Ridge does have a 44 seconds to work here, but a couple incomplete passes goes ahead and kills that vibe. And so they go into halftime 7-0 Pueblo West with that lead. Still a relatively close game. Uh, Dakota Ridge would get the um, they, they they would get the kick to start this second half, and they'd go ahead and start at the 20 here. And that's when they really go to work. Uh, Blake Palladino goes ahead and finds his receiver on a nice little hitch route for first. After that, finds another receiver uh, on a nice throw for, for, for first down. I want to say it was, um, it was a dig route. I could be wrong, though. After a couple plays later, Blake Palladino on third down rolls out and finds a receiver on a nice throw uh, on the comeback route catch. That goes for first down, and so they're rolling here. 
Um, Noah Triplett, he then gets handed the ball, and he gets a nice, tough 10 yards that goes ahead and gives them another first down and puts them in the red zone. A couple plays later, it's a third and nine situation for Dakota Ridge, and uh, that's after a Jacob Trader tackle for loss on a Noah Triplett uh, stretch play on second down. So, brings up third and nine, um, but... They run the play, and there's a penalty thrown on that third down play, which goes ahead and gives Dakota Ridge a lot of yardage. Not first down, but a lot of yardage, and so that sets up a third and short where Noah Triplett goes ahead and punches this one up the middle for a first down, which is huge. After the first down play, though, there's another penalty that is thrown, and so that goes ahead, and uh, basically, I believe it's half the distance to the goal line, and so that cuts uh, that in half there. Still first down, though. Then two plays later, they go ahead and run a nice little play to Jack Stewart. Paladino throws the swing route, and it is a touchdown, and Dakota Ridge ties this one with about 5 minutes, 48 seconds left in the third quarter a nice long drive for dakota ridge there and so they go ahead and kick it off west takes over there's a penalty here after a great throw and so that kind of pushes them back making it second and long after that though gavin lockett does scramble out left takes kind of a late hit here and so that results in a first down and them crossing midfield couple plays later it is third and ten Pressure from this Dakota Ridge defensive line, which is playing well uh, all night at this point, goes ahead and brings up a third and 10 situation, like I said. And on third and 10, Gavin Lockett squeezes in a tough pass on the run to Titus White for the first down. And so that really gets this team going here. After that, Gavin Lockett aims for Donovan Robinson on first down, who's open here uh, over the middle. He has a step but his arm is pinned, and so he was only able to put out a hand, and unfortunately, he dropped the pass there. So, there you go. Kind of a missed touchdown opportunity, but that's okay. Gavin Lockett would go ahead and scramble, which would bring up a third and one, a very manageable third and one, as Jacob Trader does get the handoff uh, on third down and gains a tough 10 yards here to go ahead and put them in the red zone. But Gavin Lockett, he gets sacked by number 48 on Dakota Ridge. I believe that is Cooper D'Amico, I want to say. And this is a great play here. But there's a little bit of a controversy here. And this play happened real quick. As he was getting tackled, Gavin Lockett did throw away the ball. And so the refs called it an incompletion instead of a fumble off the sack. You could, I have the clip on me. I looked it over a couple of times. Honestly, it probably could have went either way. It happened very quickly. And so, you know, it's up to you. But, you know, the refs made their decision and they were confident in that. And so that would kind of bail out, uh, you know, Pueblo West from turning over the ball here in the red zone, which would be huge as a couple plays later, Gavin Lockett on fourth down. Goes ahead, scrambles around, and he finds his guy, Jacob Trader, who catches the ball. Then he breaks an excellent tackle here. Well, it wasn't excellent because he broke it. Uh, it was an excellent effort by Jacob Trader, and he runs it in for the touchdown and the lead, giving Pueblo West the 14-7, well, 13-7, but soon 14-7 lead with about 2 minutes, 8 seconds left in the third 
quarter. Now, Dakota Ridge, after that, they decide to respond here and get a great return here on special teams, which goes ahead and puts them on the opposing 30-yard line. So they're in business here. A couple plays later, it is third and short uh, and for Dakota Ridge, and so you already know what they're going to do. They go ahead and hand it off to Noah Triplett, who powers it in for the first down here and puts them in the red zone. But then there's a penalty that pushes Dakota Ridge back five, uh, yeah, five yards. They repeat first down, though. After that, there's a penalty on Wes. I believe it's pass interference that gives them the first down and moves them up. So a couple penalties here. And then to end the quarter, Noah Triplett on the stretch play does get the first down for a gain of five yards. And so to start the fourth quarter, it's a new set of downs. Dakota Ridge does have the ball, and they are knocking on the door here. So here we go, start of the fourth quarter, Triplett gets the sweep, gets about seven yards into the stop, just short, making it second and goal on the three. After that, they go ahead and give it to Triplett one more time, who punches this one in for the huge touchdown that Dakota Ridge needed. They go ahead and make the extra point here, making it 14 to 14, tied ball game with about 10.49 left here. Now, what would happen next is... Absolute madness, craziness. West takes over here. Uh, Gavin Henderson does get a nice 15-yard gain on the toss play. Uh, toss was almost tipped low-key, but still got there. doesn't matter. And also still got the first down, so there you go. Gavin Lockett would go ahead and get another first down after that on a nice 10-yard scramble. A couple plays later, brings up third and five. Uh, after a couple Dakota Ridge stops here. And so, the, here we go. Uh, Gavin Lockett goes ahead. On third down, finds number 11, the 6'5 sophomore Brock Keck, and he goes ahead and crosses into Dakota Ridge territory, plus gives them the much-needed first down. And so West goes ahead and takes a timeout before this play. And so here we go. Lockett scrambles. He gets another first down. And at this point, Dakota Ridge calls a timeout before the first down play. And so what would happen after that? At this point, Pueblo West, they're basically in the red zone or on the edge of it. And so they're in a position to score. But Gavin Lockett, he runs the ball and he fumbles the ball. And number 91 of Dakota Ridge, Walker, who made that play earlier in the game, comes up with the huge fumble recovery here. And so Dakota Ridge takes over, getting a huge break here in the red zone. And so they start at the 20, they're moving. It's third and five a couple plays later. Paladino then throws a nice dart over the middle for a good 20-yard gain. And then they go ahead and run a sweep here. Um, there's a lot of moving parts in this play. And the ball seemed to have just been fumbled slash dropped here. And it went back pretty far. And Pueblo West would go ahead and recover this ball here. Uh, number 49 for Pueblo West actually would recover this ball here. That is a Jonathan JT, I believe, Forsyth. And so he comes up with the huge fumble recovery of their own. And so Pueblo West are back in business. They are driving. They're in Dakota Ridge territory. They are on the 41, though. And so here we go. Gavin Lockett, he finds Jacob Trader for a nice 15-yard gain and a first down on the pass. Then there's a penalty thrown on West. And so that kind of pushes them back, and they have to replay first down. Uh, after that, there's another holding call that they throw on West, and so at this point, it is first and 19 here, but no worries, Jacob Trader makes up a good chunk of that, about two-thirds of that, on a 13-yard gain on the toss play. 
After that, Jacob Trader, he gets handed off the ball and he gains another three or so yards, making it a manageable third and five with about five minutes, 20 seconds left. Uh, on third and five, Pueblo West trying to go with the hot hand here. Go ahead and give it to Jacob Trader, but he is stopped just short, bringing up fourth and two. And West decides to go for it here. And Gavin Lockett would be the guy that they would call on to go ahead and try to get this first down here. And so he scrambles, but he is stopped just short here. Loki might have been a late hit at the end of that. Uh, they, they let him play, though, and they don't call anything. And so Dakota Ridge takes over. Uh, defense had, a, they I mean, they ran to the ball, uh, flowed to the ball really well on this play, and were able to stop him just short. And so Dakota Ridge takes over on the 10, on their 10, with about 4 minutes, 17 seconds left here. And so here we go. Um, they have a chance to go ahead and take the lead here once again in the fourth quarter. Blake Palladino, he scrambles for a nice first down on the second play of this drive. A play or so later though, around the three minute, six second mark, Noah Triplett would actually limp off the field and so he would come off and as y'all know, that is a huge loss for Dakota Ridge and so... You know, they don't have Triplett in there. They have their backup backs. But they still have Paladino as he would come up with another nice scramble for about 15 yards, giving them the first down. And so they're rolling. Now, at this point, there's about 2 minutes, 34 seconds left here in this game when number 9, Garrett O'Brien for Pueblo West, I believe, makes a huge play. He gets a nice interception over the middle and stops this Dakota Ridge drive with about 2 minutes, 25 seconds left. And so Pueblo West takes over near midfield. At this point, there's been multiple turnovers, stops on fourth down. And so we're kind of at a standstill, you know. And so this might have been one of Pueblo West's last drives here. And so there's definitely pressure for them to score here. Uh, I mean, there's pressure for both teams to score, but for West... You don't know if you're going to get another drive if they don't score. And so here we go. This is where the fun begins. They take over. Gavin Lockett, he is pressured. And so that forces a third and long situation. He had to throw away the ball here. But Gavin Lockett on third and long stays calm, cool, and collected. Finds this guy, Jacob Trader, who is on fire. And he catches a huge 20-yard catch that gives Pueblo West a first down and puts them uh, pretty close to red zone territory here. And then a play or two later, it is the MVP of this game, Jacob Trader. He breaks loose on a huge 17-yard touchdown run to the left here. And that goes ahead and gives Pueblo West the lead with 1 minute 31 seconds. They would kick the extra point and take over uh, 21 to 14. Jacob Trader coming up big in this game and huge especially on that drive there. And so Dakota Ridge, they still have a chance to win this game. They have a minute 35 seconds. They don't have all their timeouts, but I believe they do have a timeout or two. And they go ahead and take over at the 35 after this kick was kicked out of bounds, I believe. And so here we go. First down, Blake Palladino. He gets the ball. He's passing it. Unfortunately, it's an overthrow. Um, and so, boom, there you go. Then they go ahead and attempt a screenplay here to Noah Triplett, who comes back into the game. But it is stuffed. I believe Jacob Trader is there to go ahead and stop this for a minimal gain. And so it brings up third and nine with about a minute, 19 seconds left here. And so Blake Palladino, he drops back. He throws it deep 
to a receiver, but he is not quite able to catch it. And so that brings up a fourth and nine. Obviously, Dakota Ridge has to go for this one here. Uh, they go ahead and drop Blake Palladino back. He throws, but this one is uh, overthrown. And so Pueblo West takes over. They take a knee, and that is ball game. The Pueblo West Cyclones go ahead and get the upset win here. 21-14 to over number two Dakota Ridge, at least according to us, number two Dakota Ridge here in, an, in a huge upset. Now, this wasn't a game... I felt, you know, Pueblo West couldn't win. Uh, There's definitely a situation where they could have won, and then it was this situation. I got to give a lot of credit first off to their defense. They did a good job. I knew they were tired out there, but they did a very good job, you know, playing Noah Triplett, not allowing too many big yards and whatnot. I want to shout out Jacob Trader and Max Pence at linebacker. They really did a good job limiting him when they can, so there you go. And then offensively, I mean, we knew the kind of firepower they had, and, you know, I got to shout out that sophomore receiver, Brock Heck, number 11, the 6'5 receiver. That is a big, big boy first off, but he's also a huge addition to this team that did lose Gage Martinez. Now, he will be back next week, but you just got to imagine this is going to be a receiving core with Gage Martinez, Brock Heck, Donovan Robinson, who was turning up this game. He had two touchdowns against Grand Junction, and he's a great athlete, by the way, so you got to look out for him. And then uh, you also have Titus White out there as well. I mean, this Pueblo West team, look they look really good passing it. Gavin Lockett, the young quarterback, he had many flashes of brilliance out there. But like I said, it's Jacob Trader who I felt like really stepped up. Not only at a linebacker, but at running back, at running back. You know, he got some pretty big gains. Not only on the ground, but through the air as well. He was very instrumental in the pass game. You know, when they're going one-on-ones with, you know, all these other receivers and whatnot, he would kind of leak out and relieve some of that pressure that this Dakota Ridge defense was putting on Gavin Lockett. And I do want to shout out this Dakota Ridge front seven. I mean, they were doing a very good job pressuring him, as you could tell in my recap. This was definitely a winnable game for Dakota Ridge, but unfortunately, they came up just short. I think there might have been some nerves there. You know, here in the past game, which is, you know, it's fair. This is their first game. This is Pueblo West's second game. And so they're going to get better and whatnot. I'm not super worried about them, but there are definitely plays that they need to make, and they're going to look back at this and hopefully grow from this moment and make them stronger. So there you go. Excellent game by both teams. We're going to see what happens moving forward. And following those two dynamic clashes, it was the end of Friday night for us and the beginning of Saturday football. So on Saturday, you know, a lot of six and eight man action. Shout out to them. But there was a 5A contest between Smoky Hill and Denver East, one where the Smoky Hill defense went berserk, forcing a handful of turnovers and clutching up a 40 to 21 win. On the 1A level, you did have a massive performance out of Platte Canyon here, beating center on the heels of David Fouts's four passing touchdowns for Platte Canyon. So shout out to David Fouts there. Definitely a contender for playmaker of the week for sure. On the three slash four A level in what was one of the biggest upsets of week one, I would say is Northfield brand new to three A toppling Aurora Central 24 to nothing in Aurora. What a massive win this was for Northfield. 
on the heels of a huge game from quarterback Christian Love, who got it done through the air and the ground. And if he can cut back on turnovers, this Northfield team is going to overachieve like crazy. They're already entering stats a lot better than they did last year by having their stats entered already by the time this is recorded, which is Sunday, the 28th of August. So huge shout out to Northfield there. Grand Valley in their very first game in 2A beat 1A program, Ellicott 53 to 8 in Ellicott's first game since pre-COVID. And then, you know, Banning Lewis Academy gets a huge win over Denver Christian 46 to 6. Montezuma Cortez also beats Aztec 17 to 8. So a couple of teams came to play. And the game that I attended was at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. It was a heat wave. As Kent Denver, who was a 16 seed last year, hosted Platte Valley, who is a top 10 team for us. Platte Valley gets the scoring started early with a huge run down the left sideline to score within the very first minute of this game, taking a lead 7 to nothing that they would hold on for quite some time. You know, Kent Denver, they come out, they're showing a good balance of run and pass for a few first downs before a holding penalty sets up third and 23. That number 88, Mateo, makes an all-hands grab to scoop just above the ground. And then on fourth and five from around midfield, number 16 for Platte Valley, Josh Eagleton, comes off of the edge completely unblocked and sacks the quarterback to give Platte Valley the ball. Now, Platte Valley, they have a stuffed run and then a dropped snap that leads to a huge tackle for loss by Cooper on Kent, setting up third and 17. Howdy Johnson keeps his eyes downfield, but can't quite make the throw on the run. And Kent Denver ends up with the ball. They end up getting a run play that is just absolutely swallowed up inside. They take a throw outside that goes all the way to the 20 yard line, but offsetting penalties by both teams replay the down. The penalty on Kent Denver, I think is the more head scratching one. Uh, I believe that the penalty on the defense was like a face mask or something, but Kent Denver gets flagged for a blindside block, which is just a lack of discipline here. And so those offsetting penalties resets the down. And so number eight for Kent Denver, Luke Harrington keeps the ball for about seven or eight yards. And then on third and two, too many Platte Valley Broncos are on the edge. And so Kent Denver is forced to punt. For Platte Valley, Justin Finnebaker bounces left and right for a good gain. They then have another run up the middle and a speed option that gains five yards when the defense keys in on the pitch as opposed to Howdy Johnson at quarterback. And on third and one, Howdy keeps it for a quarterback power and a first down set up by a phenomenal block, I want to say, a lead block by number 25, Justin Fanabaker once again. Following that play, there is a bad pitch by Howdy that ends up out of bounds. And then there is a breakup by number 10 on Ken Denver downfield that sets up third and nine. Howdy Johnson delivers a nice out route in a clean pocket, but the pass is dropped. Ken Denver jumps off sides, but then on fourth and four, number 67 for Kent Denver gets great penetration and makes the play in the backfield. That is Kim Zander at the defensive tackle spot who ends up making that play and giving Kent Denver the ball with 10 minutes and 50 seconds. There's, in, in the second quarter that is, there's some penetration on the right side that makes it impossible for Kent Denver to run that way for the last few plays. But then a quick pass to the left ends up in a six yard gain before another bonehead penalty in a false start by Kent Denver sets up third and nine. And Harrington, 
you know, he finds his open wheel route for a first down, rolling out right, but another holding penalty pushes Kent Denver back. They end up taking a timeout with 8 minutes and 54 seconds left in the second and on third and 23, a miscommunication before the quarterback between the quarterback and the wide receiver ends up in the ball hitting the turf and a punt on fourth and 23. This is a very bad punt, and Platte Valley has excellent field position with the ball at the 38-yard line going in. They start off this drive nice and pretty with a six-yard run to the right before Kent Denver starts going absolutely ballistic. Number 44, Charlie Walker, who's one of the premier players to watch on this squad, wraps up the ball carrier for a gain one, and then he blows up number 14 at the line. Now, what happens here is number 14 loses his helmet, and there is a bad flag thrown that is called a helmet-to-helmet -helmet hit, even though 14 on Platte Valley is leading with his head. This ends up switching Howdy Johnson back in, and then Warren Wells for Ken Denver makes a tackle on the backfield. Platte Valley has a false start, setting up a second and 19. There's a pass broken up by number 10, but there is a holding call anyway, and so now Platte Valley is starting the drive right where they started the drive, basically, but after having a first down on a penalty, right? There's a timeout by Platte Valley with 6.22 left in the second. And on second and 31, the Kent Denver D-line stands their ground to hold the quarterback keeper to a very short gain here. It's only a two-yard gain before Howdy Johnson finds his guy, Ethan Johnson, to make it fourth and 14. Platte Valley attempts a field goal, and that is no good. Kent Denver then has the ball with 4.46 left and start at their own 20. And number eight, Luke Harrington doesn't really make it past his first read and holds onto the ball too long and is sacked. There are some receivers open, but overall he just holds onto the ball too long and doesn't really know how to go between reads, or at least it didn't seem that way too much in this game. Harrington then struggles to get it there when he rolls out to his left and tries throwing across his body. He doesn't really get planted. He doesn't really get set. And so the pass is way underthrown. And on third and 15, there is a great play by one of the I'd say the premier receiver on this team in, what is that? Padalino, Alex Padalino, number 11, who falls just shy of the first down here. And so Kent Denver punts. Platte Valley has the ball with three minutes, 14 seconds on their own 41 before number 76 on Kent Denver's squad. August Penny gets into the backfield and makes a massive play attack for loss on the run. Then the Sun Devil D-line gets a sack between Charlie Walker and the aforementioned number 67, Xander Kim. And this results in a very long third and 21 where Howdy Johnson trips. Kent Denver takes another timeout with one minute and 43 seconds left in the second quarter. The quarterback, Luke Harrington, doesn't see anything that he likes and he tucks and runs. He also doesn't see his wheel early on the very next play. Uh, it was there at the very beginning, but if you wait that split second, you're going to end up throwing a pick. I like his decision here to just tuck and run and get out of bounds. On third and six, he doesn't step into his throw and leaves a hitch route just a little bit short. And on fourth and six, they have to punt. So Platte Valley starts on their own 30 with 49.5 seconds left in the half. There's a quick throw left for a first before number 69 on this Kent Denver team. Trip skews, makes a one-handed sack, bringing them back a couple of yards. And on third and four, there is a timeout called. And with 37.2 seconds left, they call a quarterback power, giving Kent Denver 31.1 seconds. 
and the ball on the 48-yard line going in. The quarterback, Luke Harrington, throws to the wrong guy and is almost intercepted, which would have been absolutely massive for this Platte Valley team. But they are given a second life here and finds on the very next play, number 11 for a first down. And then on the very last play of the half, Luke Harrington finds Alex Patalino down the left sideline for a touchdown, tying the game up 7-7 to start the second half. Straight out the gate here, Kent Denver gets the ball and runs two power left plays, one getting a first down and the very next time for a yard, both with Charlie Walker. And then Charlie Walker gets the ball again and gets a first down. And on this drive, he had three carries for 41 yards before Luke Harrington fakes a power and throws a first down strike to number 88, Mateo. And then on the 21 yard line going in, number 15, the tailback here, George Brown, cuts back left and finds pay dirt to give Ken Denver their first lead of the game here, 14 to seven. On the ensuing drive, Platte Valley is on their own 32 and fumbles the football with Kent Denver recovering. And then on the very first play of this drive, Luke Harrington looks the safety off to his left and then hits a seam route to number three, Nick Bucano, I wanna say is how you say it, for the score. But then the extra point attempt is blocked by Platte Valley and the score is 20 to seven with Kent Denver with all the momentum and 10 minutes left in the third. Now, remember this extra point for later, but Platte Valley, they end up going three and out on the very next drive when a pass falls in between the hands of number 16. It was a great pass by Howdy Johnson. Then Kent Denver gets the ball on the 46 going in with 746 left here. And the offensive line is starting to get a little bit of a push whenever they're down blocking. And so, you know, they get a decent run here before number 47 here for Platte Valley. That is going to be the linebacker Brody White here who pops the running back in the backfield for a short loss before Harrington rolls out left and shows patience finding number seven Rob Jacoby for a first down. On the very next play, they do run a little reverse for a five yard gain. And on third and five, Harrington just straight up coughs up the football. I don't even think it was a forced fumble. And on fourth and seven, Harrington's timing on a throw over the middle puts the pass just behind the receiver and leads to a turnover on downs. Platte Valley on the very next drive, just run, 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 runs all the way into the red zone. And then on third and six, Kent Denver forces it inside for no gain. There is a pass on this drive for a first down that is a slant pass. I believe it was to Evan Johnson. And then in the fourth quarter, there's a low but catchable pass that hits the ground. But Kent Denver commits a late hit personal foul and starts with the ball on their own six yard line with 11.56 to start the fourth quarter. Kent Denver then has a quick hitter to number 11 for nine yards. They then have a couple of runs and have a roll out left that ends up in a first down. However, another holding penalty takes away another Kent Denver first down here. It is raining flags on this hot fall day and Kent Denver then has to punt the ball. Platte Valley starts off with a lot of runs here, but then Howdy moves the pocket and keeps his eyes downfield to find a guy in the flats for a first down. And then after another drop slant, Howdy runs it again and again and hits a slant to get 
Platte Valley all the way to the one yard line where it takes him a couple of plays, but then Howdy Johnson extends with two Sun Devils on him to give Platte Valley a 14 to 20 score here with five minutes and eight seconds left in the fourth. Kent Devers ensuing drive has a run that is blown up and then a snuffed out smoke route that leads to third and 15 with four minutes left. And Harrington just kind of lazily tosses a pass between two receivers here and it hits the turf and Platte Valley has the ball with three minutes and 30 seconds left. And, you know, Kent Denver, they mess up this punt. I don't know why this punter didn't try and punt it. Uh, uh, I don't know. I don't know what the heck happened here, but Kent Denver ends up giving Platte Valley the ball on the 19 yard line and Howdy Johnson he hits his quarterback power and then cuts back left here back across the field on an excellent move into open field and gives Platte Valley their first lead since the beginning of this game and they kick the extra point attempt and it is good and so the score is 21-20 and Ken Denver has the ball left with around three minutes. There are two incompletions that puts Ken Denver in a third and 10 situation with two and a half minutes left. But then number three, Nick Buchano makes a diving catch for a first down. Luke Harrington then narrowly gets rid of the ball to avoid a sack on the 47, but it gets called for intentional grounding and sets up second and 26. He then finds Patalino again for third and 11 and then hits number 88 Mateo on the right side for a short pass, setting up fourth and six with one minute and 14 seconds left. And they are on the 42 going in. The next pass is incomplete, but Platte Valley roughs the passer here and sets up Kent Denver with first and 10 at the 27-yard line, down by a single point. There is another pass that falls to the turf, but a defensive holding penalty makes it a few-yard gain. And with a minute five, Kent Denver is on the 17-yard line going in. And it looks like they might have the momentum. They might have the swagger. They might have the juice. But not more than Bryant Damon, number 13 on Platte Valley, who jumps a pass that just doesn't have enough touch on it. And that basically ends the game. The game is eventually iced by Howdy Johnson, who rips off a very long run. And please pardon me here. The autocorrect on my initial typing was incorrect. Bryant Beeman is the one who makes the clutch interception for Platte Valley as they hold on to this win on the road against Kent Denver. Overall, my takeaways here from this game, Kent Denver was just committing way too many penalties, and that is what suffocated them. I mean, look, if you take away a few of these holding penalties and a lot of these drives just don't get killed, Kent Denver's offense could have potentially put up over 31 points here. And then, you know, their offensive line, they are not blessed with a ton of size on this Kent Denver roster. And so that's where you find a lot of these holding penalties. They're gonna have to work on technique and they're gonna want to stick to very quick passes in this pass game. But overall, I really liked the balance of run and pass shown from Kent Denver here. I think that they have a bright future with the coaching staff here uh, since they did hire that brand new coach last year. And by the way, what a beautiful field that they get to play on here in Inglewood, Colorado. If you haven't seen the Sun Devils field here at Kent Denver High School, I highly recommend going to a game. It is a nice scene, but definitely try and go during a day where it's not super hot because, I mean, it was hot. It was a hot one out there, which, you know, could have affected both teams, but I think that they didn't look super fatigued down the stretch. I think that they were very well conditioned and very well coached, both squads. As for Platte Valley, you know, Howdy Johnson definitely wills this team to a win here. 
even though he's not always making the right reads when running the ball. He is throwing okay passes, but the chemistry is just not quite there for this Platte Valley team that, you know, graduated a lot of guys who caught passes last year. They've got to work on their hands. That is the biggest concern I have for Platte Valley heading into the future is that they just had way too many drops this game. If you get some of these catches, you end up with... Well, on that one drive where there's some drops that kill it and where you attempt a field goal, that probably ends in a touchdown because you're within rushing distance. And you have the size to really power it in from about five yards in on most teams in 2A. So that is my big takeaways for Platte Valley and Kent Denver. I thought Kent Denver was going to have a chance to slide into the top 10 of our power rankings, but fall just short here. There is also some 1A football action on Saturday caught by Coach V. And he's going to give you the lowdown on Colorado Springs Christian versus Flatirons Academy. What's good, y'all? Welcome back to the Playmakers Corner Podcast. My name is Simon Villanos, a.k.a. Coach V, and I got another game to bring to you. This is actually the last game of the weekend that I was able to attend on August 27th, 2022, down in Colorado Springs. We had a 1A matchup, a thriller by the way, instant classic between Colorado Springs Christian versus Flatirons Academy. Here's how it went down. Flatirons kicks off to Colorado Springs Christian to start the game. You know, they uh, have a little bit of uh, something going here. They throw a nice five-yard rollout, and then, you know, they get stuffed on the next play, and then a false start would kind of kill the vibes of this drive, result in a third and 15. They try to throw it, but it would be incomplete, and so that results in a very quick punt. Flatirons Academy then starts at the 4-3 just behind midfield here. You know, they run the ball up the middle, but Colorado Springs Christian is there twice to go ahead and um, stop it for minimal yardage, bringing up 3rd and 8. And then here on 3rd and 8, Nolan Shepard for Flatirons Academy, their quarterback, takes off to the right for a nice gain of 13 yards, getting the first down. After that, there's two tough Noah Evans runs up the middle once again, bringing up a manageable third and one. And that's where Nolan Shepard once again takes care of business, breaks a tackle, and gets a couple yards for the first down. A couple run plays later, doing a lot of the same things, running it up the middle. It is third and five. And Devin Glowicki, they hand it off to him. He powers forward for a couple yards, but is definitely stopped short, about a yard or so. And, you know, Flatirons Academy wanting to keep it going goes for it here. And that would kind of hurt them here as Colorado Springs Christian stands strong and stops them right here and gets the ball back on fourth down. They get the ball back with about five minutes, 34 seconds left here in the first quarter. And on this drive, it's Jonah Bullet who goes to the house on a 65-yard pass play. But unfortunately, they call a personal uh, foul penalty. And that's a spot penalty. And so it's not quite 65 yards and it's not a score. But they start at the 40 after um, the opposing 40 after a nice gain of around 30 or so yards. They go ahead and get another first down after a nice run for 10 by number 12 for their team. By the way, Colorado Springs Christian, uh, their rosters are not updated. Um... On Max Preps or in person, the one they gave me was definitely not complete because there are only 22 players on there. So if you can, please do that because we'd love to cover your players and you have a great program. But anyways, so that happened. And so 
Uh, they go ahead and run in for a nice 10 there by number 12, like I said. Then uh, the quarterback, Jace Velasquez, finds Casey Oreck for a nice first down pass for about 10 plus yards. That kind of puts them in the red zone here, and so they're knocking on the door, ready to score. Draw first blood, but it's Nolan Shepard. He also plays safety for Flatirons Academy, who goes ahead and baits the quarterback on this one and gets a huge interception in the red zone, returns it for a couple yards. But unfortunately, there's a penalty on this pick. I believe it happened after the pick because Flatirons Academy still got the ball. But, you know, instead of starting on the 15 or 20 or whatever it was, they end up starting on the 1. And so they're backed up into their own end zone here. And so they try to run the ball here to get out of the danger zone uh, because, you know, anything could happen. Uh, they could get hit for a safety or a fumble could happen in uh, Colorado Springs. Christian recovers that for a touchdown. A lot of bad things could happen. So they're just trying to get out of that situation. But Colorado Springs Christian is there to lock it up and they go ahead and force a three and out. And so Colorado Springs Christian takes over. And this is right before the quarter ends on the opposing 42. And here's how it goes down. Velasquez, their quarterback scrambles. Gets the first down going for about nine or so uh, on the second play of this drive. After that, he rolls out and finds his guy Casey for a first down on the pass. So a second uh, consecutive first down. After that, number seven uh, on the next play directly after that. Takes it himself and runs it into the end zone for the lead with about a second left in the quarter. They go for two here. They don't get it, but they go ahead and lead 6-0 to start this game and to end the first quarter. Here in the second quarter, Flatirons Academy, they take over at midfield, and they try to throw it to their guy, Devin Glowicki, their big 6-3 running back, but a pass interference is called, and so they go ahead and get a nice 15 yards and a first down, although it was incomplete there. Then Nolan Shepard, he finds number 14 on his team for a longer, um, nice 10-plus yard pass that goes ahead and gets them into the red zone. A couple plays later, though, it is third and seven after a sack and then a stop short on the run. And so here's what happened. Shepard, he steps back and then he goes ahead and scrambles. He is popped uh, on third. Well, just short, though bring up fourth and one so they decide to go for it here as they should and they toss it to Devin Glowicki who basically walks in for a touchdown he's like wide open great blocking on this play but unfortunately there was a very costly holding call that pushes them back making it fourth and five and so Flatirons Academy they decide to just take the points here they kick the field goal and make it a three to six game with about eight minutes left here in the first half so there you go on the kickoff, Colorado Springs Christian gets kind of a nice return here, but unfortunately, there's a block in the back penalty that goes ahead and gets them started on the 10. Then on second down, they go ahead and pass it to number 10, who gets them a nice 9 yards close to the first down. Um, but they would eventually get the first down on a nice dive play. After that, they run a nice run play. Um, it goes for about 20-plus yards. It was a really nice gain. Almost broke this one loose. But there was a crackback block on this uh, play. So that kind of kills the vibes there and brings that one back. And then to end this drive, basically, there's a dropped interception on second down. So that brings up third and ten. And then there's another dropped interception. Um, both of them, if they were picked, probably would have been scores for Flatirons Academy. But 
they're both dropped just not the greatest uh, decision here a little uncharacteristic and so they go ahead and decide to punt this one but unfortunately there's a bad snap on the punt and so Flatirons Academy recovers this thing on the five yard line near the red zone or near the end zone they're already in the red zone and so here we go on second down though Nolan Shepard, he goes and takes care of business, takes advantage of this opportunity, rolls out left, and scores the touchdown, taking the lead. Flatirons Academy then leads 10-6 after the PAT with 5.33 left in the half. Colorado Springs Christian then takes over on the 20 or so after the touchback on the kickoff, and they try to get something going here, really working through their quarterback. They uh, throw a nice swing route, and then they uh, have their quarterback scramble, which goes ahead and gives Colorado Springs Christian at least a first down on this drive. A couple plays later, though, it is a third and seven situation. They throw the swing route, but he is stopped short of the first down, only gets about three yards, so it's fourth and four. And they are on their side of the field. I thought this was a very interesting call, but they decide to go for it. Um, they decide to go for it. And so, you know, they call a timeout, get a play ready. And, you know, they snap the ball. The snap is a little, it's, it's a little questionable. And so it's mishandled and, you know, it kind of kills the momentum of that play. And obviously Flatirons Academy goes ahead and um, they're all over that one. And they take over with about 40 yards to go. They're on the opposing 40 with three minutes left. And so here's how that goes down. Nolan Shepard rolls out left, finds his guy, Devin Glowicki, who gets a big first down on a nice 10-yard pass. And then there's a little flea flicker here, and they get a huge 20-yard pass. Um, this pass is definitely underthrown. <laughs> like, the receiver had to stop, basically post up the cornerback, and then jump and catch this one. This was a tough catch, though. He made a nice contested catch here. The DB did what he could, but the receiver had him pretty well sealed off here and just posted him up, basically, and got this one. Is short of the touchdown. He's put down on the one there. But Flatirons Academy is knocking with only a minute 51 seconds left. So they got plenty of time. And it's Nolan Shepard who goes ahead and punches this one in for a touchdown on the quarterback sneak. And after the PAT, Flatirons Academy leads 17-6 with about a minute 28 seconds left. And so Colorado Springs Christian, they have plenty of time to try to cut into this lead. And so here's what they do. They go ahead and call two nice runs that gives them consecutive first downs. Uh, the first play was a sweep. The next one was a jet sweep. They had a receiver go in motion and then take the handoff here. And so they got a nice momentum moving forward. But then, unfortunately, they try to call another play and a penalty is thrown. It's called a legal procedure. I believe that's what they say. And so that kind of pushes them back, stops the momentum. Um, also runs, the, you know, some of the clock off. And so the coach goes ahead and calls the timeout at the 35 second mark to game plan, figure something out. And so they run a jet sweep, which is really interesting. But Devin Glowicki at safety is all over that one. Gets a huge tackle for a loss. It's for like a loss of four or three or so. And so they are forced to call another timeout uh, as there are only 16 seconds left in this game. Well, actually, sorry. No, they're not. They aren't able to call a timeout because they go hurry up here. Trying to get something going. But Flatirons Academy has too many men 
on the field. And so they call a timeout to avoid that penalty and give, you know, Colorado Springs Christian unnecessary yardage here. And so the clock stops regardless at 16 seconds. And so here we go. Colorado Springs Christian, they go ahead and take a shot down the field. And the pass is just missed just barely. He had an open guy, but he just wasn't just wasn't quite able to bring this one in and then to end the half uh Flatirons Academy they get a huge interception made by number five who goes ahead and ends the half here and so at halftime Flatirons Academy leads 17 to 6 and that's important to know because this third quarter was probably the most explosive third quarter of any quarter here in Colorado high school football in week one and here's how it went down so to start Flatirons Academy takes over on the 13 um muff kickoff you know the returner just didn't handle that one well so there you go so they start on the 13 but no worries Devin Glowicki on the sweep goes for a nice gain of eight yards then he gets the first down on a dive there getting them some nice yardage but Colorado Springs Christian right on the next play they run the ball or Flatirons Academy runs the ball and then Colorado Springs Christian they strip it get the fumble recovery on the 26 yard line going into the end zone with about 10 minutes 51 seconds left uh here Colorado Springs Christian is basically in the red zone you know uh, number seven Velasquez he Gets about nine yards here, making it a nice, manageable third and one. Then they throw the screen, but he is tackled by number 14 of Flatirons Academy. Regardless, though, you know, that receiver did get the first down just barely. He had to reach for that one and fight for that one, so there you go. Then Colorado Springs Christian, they run two dives up the middle, and that gets the job done as they score a touchdown on the second dive. They go ahead and go for two here, which is interesting, and they get stuffed at the line, but... You know, regardless, they still scored off the turnover, off the fumble recovery. Flatirons Academy still leads those 17-12, about 9 minutes, 35 seconds left here. And so, they kick it off, you know, they return it to the 23, that's where they set up. And on the first play of this drive, Devin Glowicki breaks loose for a 77-yard touchdown rumbling down the field here had a wide open hole uh looking back at the film it just looks like whoever was at that left defensive tackle spot for colorado springs christian just read the play wrong and he went wide left i guess trying to play contain or whatever and there is a wide open hole there and glowicki you know he is that guy and so he goes ahead and breaks that one loose makes them pay for that one and extends the lead after the pat they do lead 24 to 12 now colorado springs christian they're not out of this one still the third quarter and so they take over on the 27 and here we go to start the drive velasquez he hits number 27 on a nice out route for the first down on second down after that, Velasquez then hits his receiver again on second down, who goes ahead and gets another first down. And then they tag on a head-to-head -head penalty on that play, and so that's 15 yards, and they take over um, on the 25 there. Then Velasquez drops back, throws it to number 9, Taylor McLeod, on a screen, who gets a nice gain of around 15 yards, but unfortunately, penalties are thrown. Uh, it's a holding penalty on Colorado Springs Christian and the helmet to helmet on Flatirons and so they go ahead and they move Colorado Springs Christian to the 18 yard line uh, there and repeat first down 
And so here we go. They throw it to number 20 on the short throw. Who gets the first down and puts them inside the 10. And then it's Ashton Lofton for Colorado Springs Christian. Who goes ahead and finish this drive here. Barrels in on a nice tough run right up the middle for a touchdown. And then it's number 7 Velasquez. He runs over a player on the 2 point conversion. Reaches over and just barely gets the two-point conversion. And just like that, Colorado Springs Christian is right back in it, trailing 24-20 to with about 6 minutes, 37 seconds left. Responding really well after that long glow wiki run here. So there you go. Now on the next drive, Flatirons Academy takes over. But a number of penalties really killed this drive, starting with a false start, making it first and 15 right before the play even starts, right before the drive even starts. They run a sweep play for a nice uh, couple of yards, but, you know, a flag is thrown for unnecessary roughness. I believe it was a block that was just a little bit too excessive. You know, he hit him a little bit after the whistle there. And so that's another 10-yard penalty. And so they have to repeat second down. Then Glowicki goes up the middle, doesn't get a whole bunch of yards. Brings up a really long third down uh, situation. They try to throw it deep here, but the receiver is not quite able to bring in. Despite him having a step on the corner. And so that kind of hurts them. I mean, they were in a tough situation anyways. And so they punt it. And Colorado Springs Christian takes over on the 45 here. Um, in Flatirons Academy territory, you know, the punt didn't necessarily go super far here. So there you go. But here's how CSCS takes over here. They uh, go ahead and run it up the middle with the running back who gets a nice first down. Then Velasquez finds uh, Will Moore scrambling around, keeping the play alive, and then finds him on a nice pass. Uh, gets a gain of eight yards or so. Then they throw the screen to number nine. I believe that's McLeod. And he does the rest and makes a move, scores a nice 15-plus yard touchdown to go ahead and take the lead here in the third quarter, Colorado Springs Christian battling back from a 17-6 deficit. Now, I, I think it's interesting. They don't, you know, kick the PAT. Uh, they go for two and they don't get it. But they still lead 26-24 with about 3 minutes 26 seconds left in this quarter. Now, Flatirons Academy, you know, they are trying to get something going here. But they are not quite able to get it as number 60 for CSCS gets a huge sack on second down, making it a third and long situation. And then on third and long, Nolan Shepard, he's trying to buy time. But this Colorado Springs Christian school defense buries him and forces a fourth down and nine here. And so Colorado Springs Christian gets the ball back with a chance to go ahead and extend their lead here. They have about a minute 33 seconds left in the third quarter. And so here's what happened. Velasquez rolls out left and takes off for a nice 7-yard rush. Then it's number 12 who runs up the middle for a nice first down right after that. Then Velasquez throws a nice corner out. Beautiful throw in time. In rhythm, caught the corner lacking just a little bit to his guy number 27 for a big 30-yard touchdown. The crowd was hopping after this one. It was hype. Beautiful play. Great throw here. And just excellent execution by this Colorado Springs Christian team here. And then they go ahead and go for two here. Velasquez rolls out right. Throws a nice jump pass to his receiver who goes up and gets this one. And they go ahead and get the two-point conversion as they now lead by 10. 
34 to 24 with 43 seconds left in this game. At this point, around four or five touchdowns have been scored in this third quarter alone, which is absolutely insane. But Anyways, Flatirons Academy, they take over on the 25 here near the end of the quarter. They run a die for a minimal gain. Then they throw the ball here. But the pass is just, it's, it's a late pass, to be honest with you. If he threw it earlier, it would have probably been a touchdown. But instead, it's almost picked. It's dropped, though. And that basically ends the quarter here. And so here we go. It's the fourth quarter. Flatirons Academy, they have the ball here. Nolan Shepard rolls out, but he is tracked down once again by this defensive line for a huge sack. This is the third sack of this half. The CSCS defense coming alive here. And so that forces a punt, and Colorado Springs Christian takes over on the Flatirons Academy 45. Now, a couple plays later, it's third and ten. They try to run it up the middle, get about seven yards here, so it's fourth and three. And Flatirons Academy decides to go for it instead of punting this one, which is a little interesting. And, you know, they try to run it with their quarterback, Velasquez, and he gets absolutely nailed by this Flatirons Academy team, not letting that happen at all. And so they stop him, and that's a turnover on downs. And so Flatirons Academy, they take over on the 39. And so here's what happened. Number 27, he goes ahead and gets a nice run inside uh for a huge 30 yard rush that gets them into colorado springs uh christian territory then nolan shepherd right after that rolls out left and gets 15 yards on the run and gets the second consecutive first down after that though vibes killed a little bit here there's a false start so it makes the first and 15 doesn't matter nolan shepherd he scrambles gets the first down uh and is bumped out just short of a touchdown and so it's basically first and inches on the goal line they go ahead and sneak this one in and i believe it's shepherd who sneaks this one in and scores a touchdown making it 34 to 31 with eight minutes and 13 seconds left as Flatirons academy is not going away just yet and so colorado springs christian they take over here they're trying to burn some of this clock, and so they're throwing short throws. They're trying to run the ball here, and, you know, here's what happens. So, you know, they call a another short throw. It's either a swing route or a hitch um, or a screen. You know, they don't, they don't run anything too crazy there, but they go ahead and try to call one of those pass plays, and number 14 for Flatirons Academy goes ahead, and he is unblocked and just absolutely nails the quarterback for a huge sack. Fortunately, he holds on to this ball here, but it does bring up a third and long here. And so they try to run a swing route, but this Flatirons Academy is there for it. And they get a huge tackle, bring up fourth and long, which does force a punt here. And so they go ahead and take over on 30 with about 5 minutes, 29 seconds left. But a play later on second down, number 60. And Colorado Springs Christian once again tracks down Nolan Shepard for another sack. I believe it's the fourth sack of this half, making it third and ten. Like I said, this Colorado Springs Christian defense coming alive here. And they stay alive as number nine for them. Goes ahead and gets a huge interception on a deep shot there. Does serve as a little bit of, you know, a, a punt. But... 
regardless, it's a huge turnover for them. And so they have the ball on the 30, around the 30, with about four minutes left. Like I said, they are trying to grind out the clock. And, you know, the call pass play here, which is interesting, it looked like it was supposed to be a swing or a short call, but... <laughs> they were the Flatirons Academy was sitting on it, and so the quarterback has to scramble out. He directs traffic and he throws it to a wide open receiver who takes off downfield for 70 yards and a touchdown. But a flag is thrown here that I'll take this one back. Wasn't quite clear what the flag was, um, but the flag does bring this one back. And so it's first and 15, and they try to throw it to the running back. They do. And he goes ahead and gets a first down, keeping this clock going. Uh, timeout is called by Flatirons Academy with about 3 minutes, 20 seconds left. Then they run the ball. Flatirons gets a huge tackle for loss on the sweep, and they call another timeout. And so it's 3rd and 10 with about 3 minutes, 14 seconds left. Uh, for some reason, Colorado Springs Christian doesn't run it here and force Flatirons Academy to use their last timeout. They decide to throw it. <laughs> and, and it's almost picked as the corner is step-for-step uh, step with the receiver on this one this time. And so that stops the clock completely. And, you know, Colorado Springs Christian decides to go ahead and punt this one. And they get a really good punt. This was a 60-yard punt. And so Flatirons Academy actually takes over on the 10-yard line with about 90 yards to go here to potentially win the game. They do have around, you know, three-ish, less than three-ish minutes left. And so here's what happened here. Nolan Shepard rolls out right to start and throws a nice out route to number five to get the first down. At that point, there's about two minutes, 15 seconds left before they snap the ball. Then Nolan Shepard, he scrambles for a crazy 15 yards, uh, <laughs> rolling out right, then reversing fields, gets a huge block, breaks a tackle, and then reaches to get out of bounds for a nice 15 yards. Went for 15, but ran for 50 there, it seemed like. Um, clock does stop there, so very smart play by Nolan Shepard. Clock stops at 1.52. Then Nolan Shepard drops back and throws an absolute dart and a dot for 30 yards that goes in and gets them into the red zone. I'm talking they're inside the 10 at this point. So they go ahead and go hurry up, run up to the line here, and they snap the ball, but this Colorado Springs Christian defensive line is putting on pressure here, and so Shepard goes ahead and dumps this one off to Devin Glowkey, who gets a nice couple of yards, and so then... Flatirons Academy goes ahead and calls a timeout here. There's about a minute, 11 seconds left here. And so, call a timeout. It's about second down. Nolan Shepard, in an effort to win this game, rolls out right. Throws a nice throw here to his guy, number eight. And he has all the momentum. He It looks like he's about to run his way into the end zone. And then I could not quite see who it was, but a Colorado Springs Christian Defensive player goes ahead and puts on a nice hit on number eight to knock him out just short of the touchdown. They are literally on the one, if not inches at this point. And so they go ahead. They have no timeouts at this point, and they try to punch it up the middle. They ran this play basically all day in the end zone or when they needed a first down here. And it looks really, really close. But Colorado Springs Christian stops them once again just short. And here's the problem here. I think Flatirons Academy thought they scored. And so they stood around for a minute waiting on the officials to give a signal. And they, they did it 
obviously, because he didn't score. And so that kind of drained almost 30 seconds off the clock before they would get another play. And by the time they would run the next play, and I believe here, uh, you know, they got a first down earlier on just barely, either on the pass play or the run play after that. I, I couldn't really tell because everything was pretty crazy, to be honest with you. And I couldn't quite see the down markers, but they got a first down here. And so, like I said, you know, they're kind of standing around. There's around 20 seconds left. They eventually get set here and they basically run almost the exact same play. And Colorado Springs Christian, once again, is there for it. Their defensive tackles absolutely swallows up whoever's there. And, you know, by that point, you know, the clock is running out. And so Flatirons Academy is scrambling to get ready. They, I don't know if they even have another play in yet because the clock is running down here. They're trying to get ready. And then at this point, there's about four or so seconds left. I mean, I, there was probably a whole thing with the ref trying to set the ball. And unfortunately, they could not get off another play as Colorado Springs Christian survives gets a goal gets a couple goal line stands to be honest with you and wins this game over Flatirons Academy getting a huge upset great game by both teams that third quarter was super explosive with a lot of touchdowns then here in the fourth quarter you had some key defensive stops here uh, especially for Colorado Springs Christian that defensive line that front seven really picked it up for them and that pressure was was a lot and Nolan Shepard he's a really athletic quarterback one of the most athletic quarterbacks in the entire state as far as 1A football goes and so He's not exactly easy to contain and whatnot, but Colorado Springs Christian, their line, they did a good job, especially on that stop there at the end, on those two stops on the end there where they basically ran dive, and it was working all day up until those last 60 seconds. And then that one hit on number eight um, by that Colorado Springs Christian DB, that just stopped number eight in his tracks and he had a running start and it looked like he was gonna punch it in but he absolutely just like just stops him in his place that was absolutely clutch because if anything that was probably their best scoring chance there and so absolutely crazy game i gotta give a lot of credit to jace velasquez he is a young quarterback only class of 2025 but you know he really stepped it up here that 30 yard ish pass he threw to the corner was perfect that was huge for them obviously gave um colorado springs christian the lead there so he did a good job there just managing this thing and you know just hey thinking about the next play right can't always uh, handle, well, you can't handle uh, what happens in the past, but he did a very good job there. Wanted to give him a good shout out. Definitely a 2025 QB that we got to look out for. And then this defense, I mean, I knew this defense would come to play. That was the strength of this team when I talked about this team in the preseason. I said this defense is probably going to be a problem for a lot of teams. And, you know, despite allowing, you know, 30 points, they got it done when it mattered. You know, they got it done when it mattered. Now, a couple of the special teams' decisions made by the coaching staff was definitely interesting. There were definitely at least two or three times where I felt like they should have punted it, but instead they went for it on fourth down and gave Flatirons Academy great positioning. 
which usually, which I believe actually resulted in a touchdown all of those times. And so, you know, I believe Colorado Springs Christian probably could have won this one by more, um, but that's more of a coaching special teams issue there. That's my personal opinion. But regardless, you know, Colorado Springs Christian, man, really impressed me. They have a quarterback. They have some athletes on offense. They have, you know, a pretty nice defense out there. And so we'll see what happens. But, you know, if you're Flatirons Academy, this was a game that you kind of wanted to win because it's a non-league game. And, you know, a lot of these non-league games uh, contribute to strength of schedule for these teams. And, you know, if it means the difference between them making and not making the playoffs, it's probably more so on the negative side. But we'll see what happens. They're probably going to bounce back. They didn't play bad at all. You know, their offense did a good job. They scored 30 points defensively i mean they had a couple of dropped interceptions you know um, a couple of those dropped interceptions definitely could have set up more scoring opportunities or they could have scored off of those opportunities as well uh themselves on defense and so that just didn't happen for them plus they were playing away you know a lot of things were in effect here plus it's the first game you know and so it is what it is absolutely great game classic it's the classic between these two great 1a programs and looking forward to see more. And that does it for our recaps of games from this past week. Coming up next, we're going to talk about power rankings after the break. And then we will talk about our playmakers of the week. So stay tuned. All right, welcome back after the break. And we're going to jump into our power rankings. And just before we get started here on the 1A classification, do remember that the way that these power rankings work is that Simon and I place numbers 1 through 10. And there's a point system. If you are number 1, you get 10 points. If you are number 2, you get 9 points, etc., 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 right? And so then we average those points out to give us 1 through 10. And so starting us off here at number 1, or actually, let's go ahead and do a recap of last week's power rankings. And so last week at number one, we had Buena Vista. And then we had a three-way tie for number two between Ray, Centauri, and Lyman. Then at number five, we had Wiggins. Number six, Strasburg. Number seven, Monte Vista. Number eight, Holyoke. Number nine, Banning Lewis Academy. And number 10, Flat Irons Academy. And so... We're going to go ahead and start from the bottom and work our way up. We have two ties here at the number 10 position slash number 9 position between Meeker and Colorado Springs Christian. Now, Colorado Springs Christian does get a huge jump here because they outlasted Flat Irons Academy that was number 10 in the preseason poll for a crazy 34 to 31 win. And if you somehow missed that, go ahead and listen to that part of the recap that Coach V was able to make it, you know, to and did a great recap of. So, you know, this Colorado Springs team, they did very, very well. And Jace Veliquez was one of the players that really convinced Coach V that this could potentially be a playoff team. So huge kudos to Colorado Springs Christian for their surge into the top 10. And then also tied with them with points is Meeker. You know, they kind of handed it to a pretty solid North Fork team from a year ago, 28 to nothing. And, you know, Meeker was just outside of our top 10 in the preseason poll. 
And, you know, they came out with a very, very balanced effort. Clay Crawford played very well for them in this win and overall helped move this team up to be tied for that 10th spot. At number eight is a familiar name for the first time today in Banning Lewis Academy. As we said before, they were ranked number nine and they won huge on Saturday going off 46 to six in their win over Denver Christian. Denver Christian is not a great school. However, Banning Lewis Academy did what they needed to do and took care of business. That along with Holyoke's falling out of the top 10 is what allows Banning Lewis to take a jump up here. At number seven, Monte Vista, you know, they are going to remain at seven from where they were, beating Rocky Ford. You know, Rocky Ford, not a very good program, so it's only fitting that they did destroy them 54 to zero and maintained their spot. At number six here, Strasburg is going to remain at number six here after beating Holyoke 37 to six. And do remember that in their season previews that I said that this very first game for both these teams was going to set the tone on the year and Strasburg is letting people know that they are ready and they are more mature and better than they were last year. This was obviously showcased with a very good performance by Zach Marrero as well as a defense that was going ballistic in this game. So, you know, Strasburg, they have a huge matchup coming up here against another top 10 team that is going to shake up these power rankings quite a bit. But after that statement, when you got to be feeling pretty good. At number five here in what may be a surprising drop here, Centauri drops number five. They beat Pagosa Springs handily. This isn't about their win here so much as it is about the people that they may have lost. You know, the biggest stories from this game, according to our sources, is that Devin Brady and Chaz Holman both got injured in this game and had to be helped off the field. This is the only reason why we have them dropping from that number two spot. You know, they do have a chance to move up potentially if they beat Florence next Friday, but the health of their players being a question is going to be very concerning for this Centauri team if they wish to repeat. At number four, we have Wiggins. They were at number five a week ago, but they did thump the defending state runner-ups on the 2A level against Brush. You know, they're both out their way in the Northeast, so it was a battle for that Northeast small town you know, talent and Wiggins took care of business winning 27 to seven and showing excellent balance in both the run and the pass game, getting plenty of help from their tailback as well as a vintage Cole Kerr performance. So that lands them at four. And like I said earlier, they're going to be facing Strasburg and we are going to be at that game. That is going to be our game of the week on Friday between number four Strasburg and number or number six Strasburg and number four Wiggins. This will be very interesting and who knows, maybe it's a championship preview. Not going to say too soon. At number three, we're going to have Ray here. You know, they, they they only drop because of the quality of opponent that Lyman was able to beat to be at that number two spot. Spoiler alert. But, you know, Ray, they had a great win. 46 to nothing. They got their backups in against Highland. Highland was a team that I talked about in the offseason. Was going to struggle this year with how much talent they were graduating and, you know, you could see that rough learning curve rearing its head early in the season against a very good raid team. At number two, we have Lyman. Simon and I both agreed on this one. They did be a very solid 2A squad in Florence, 20-3 to open the season. It was a very quality win. And, you know, 
there was some serious youth on display in this game. I will say that much because, you know, the young quarterback, the younger brother of Brady Rockwell from last year, Jordan Rockwell, did struggle and threw a few interceptions. However, they did persevere. Gabe Schubarth did his thing, rushing for 100 yards, and this defense was absolutely terrorizing this Florence backfield and quarterback. So with a healthy showing there, I have no problem having them at number two, which is where I had them in the first place. And then at number one, Buena Vista maintains their spot. They beat Salida 26 to 16. I said that, you know, Salida was going to be way more improved this year with how much young talent they had. So I do think that this is still a quality opponent. Coach V wasn't as impressed since they did beat Salida last year, 40 to nothing. However, you know, they have, you know, a very enticing season still ahead of them with opportunities to play the likes of Lyman and others. So for those who were not paying attention for some reason, we got Buena Vista number one, Lyman number two, Ray number three, Wiggins number four, Centauri number five, Strasburg number six, Monta Vista seven, Benning Lewis Academy eight, and then tied at the nine slash 10 spot, is Meeker and Colorado Springs Christian. Now, the next question for a lot of these teams, other than the ones that I stated, was who do they face next? And a couple more of these teams are going to cause a shakeup here. You know, Centauri and Buena Vista, number one and number five, will be facing off on the 9th of September. That is going to be a huge game in these power rankings and one that we are looking forward to seeing. Buena Vista did not fare very well against Centauri in the semifinals in the playoffs last season. So we will see how they do and we will see if Centauri's athletes are healthy and ready to go. As for Lyman, up next on their docket is gonna be Meeker. So we have two top 10 teams once again facing off. That is going to be on the second. So that is gonna be an interesting game for sure between these two top 10 teams. As for Ray, Ray has a non-league game against Goodland, which is a team from Kansas. I'm pretty sure that they whooped up on this team last year, so I'm not too concerned. And then they have another game against Scott City in Kansas. Both of these are going to be home games for them. So they got a nice little two home game stretch here to get healthy and, you know, maybe get some more of these backup guys some reps. As I said before, Wiggins and Strasburg will be facing each other, so that takes care of that. Monte Vista will actually face the team rounding out the top 10 here with Meeker in Colorado Springs Christian. Holy cow, it's almost like every single team here is going to be facing each other in this upcoming week or in their next game. Outside of Banning Lewis Academy, who has Jefferson scheduled, this should definitely be a win before they have a way more interesting game against a Yuma squad on the 8th of September. So that is is our top 10 rankings as well as the schedule and some reasoning behind why they are where they are and coming up we got 2a power rankings on the 2a level just as a reminder from last week or should i say our preseason polls we had the eaton reds at number one the tca titans at number two delta at number three florence at four the academy at five tied with la Hunta. Then at technically seven, if two teams are at five, was Platte Valley. And then Moffat County was number eight. Alamosa was number nine. And Basalt was number 10. And so looking ahead to this week, talking about what happened to some of these teams, Basalt did win 
pretty big against the likes of Eagle Valley, which is a 3A squad. Alamosa lost what I thought was a winnable game against Pueblo Central. Moffat County kind of got their butts handed to them. 36-6 by 3A solid squad Resurrection Christian. Platte Valley, if you recall from this recap earlier in this episode, did pull off a comeback win against Kent Denver. La Junta won against Burlington in a shootout. The Academy did not play. Florence lost to a solid 1A squad in Lyman. Delta won big, 24-zil against University, who they lost to in the playoffs. And TCA and Eaton actually faced each other to start the season. And boy, was it a crazy game that ended up being a three-point win for the TCA Titans. So where do you think that is going to land TCA in this? Well, surprise, surprise, we're going to flip it and go from top to bottom this time. TCA moves up to number one after beating number one Eaton. It's only fair since they were number two to be number one now. There's only one way to go up if you beat number one. And, you know, the defense was fantastic this game. The defensive line was constantly generating pressure and getting in the backfield of Eaton. And, you know, they also rode a very stellar performance from their kicker who went four of four, including a long of 42. Include, and also was a perfect 100% on extra points made. And every point mattered in this 19-16 win over Eaton. And speaking of Eaton, Eaton is going to be number two here. Losing by three points to the number two team in 2A on the road is not the worst loss. It's actually the best possible loss you could possibly have. And, you know, if this game is played 10 times, I don't think that TCA wins 10 out of 10 times. So, you know, I think that... This is the first time Eaton's lost in years, and maybe it'll be a good thing. They do play University next Thursday and have a chance to begin a new win streak. And, you know, there's just a lot of opportunities for Eaton here. We're not going to punish them for losing to the second best team that was ranked just behind them. This is as quality of a win as you could possibly get. Following that, number three, Delta. Like I said, they will maintain their spot here at number three after beating the young university team and avenging that playoff loss. So, you know, that is why they are not going to move. And yeah, we'll see what happens following that. La Junta is going to be moved up to number four here after beating Burlington. We know that Burlington is a 1A team. However, you know, they're a very solid 1A team with a lot of returners that I broke down. And La Junta was pretty in control of this game here. And they're going to move to number four because of Florence's loss. Speaking of Florence at number five, Florence is going to be tied with the Academy. Academy is not going to be moved up or down since they did not have a game this week. But Florence loses a game that they had a decent chance of winning to a very young Lyman team. And I mean, they have to play Centauri this next week. It's going to be kind of interesting. They have a better chance if you don't see Devin Brady or Chaz Holman. But, you know, if they're not careful and they're not disciplined and this pass protection doesn't take a step forward, this Florence team could be in an 0-2 hole to start the season. Tied for number seven, I had Basalt moving up with the way that they dominated Eagle Valley. So, you know, I think that it was a solid win for Basalt. I mean, they won like 39 to something. But, you know, I think that it showed this offense that they could still move the ball. 
What I was interested to see is that Cade Schneider was nowhere to be found in the box score. And so I am a little curious on where he is and how that is going to impact this team moving forward. If it's a health thing or if he moved or what have you. Still tied for number seven is Platte Valley. They definitely tried to lose this game by letting Kent Denver get some serious momentum. And Kent Denver kind of showed that you can keep this Platte Valley team off balance on defense. And then, you know, Kent Denver was kind of giving Platte Valley a hard time, but not as much as Platte Valley was giving themselves. As I said in the recap, there were a ton of drops this game. Hopefully they can clean those up and they will look significantly better moving forward. Now, with two teams at seven and two teams at five, that puts us at number nine and surging into the top 10 is Elizabeth who did pull off in what we perceive was an upset against the number 11 Devlin team that Simon and I both had at number 11. We don't really talk about people outside, but they won pretty convincingly. They ran silly all over them. So I think that that is a very quality win here for the Elizabeth Cardinals. And then rounding out our top 10, we are going to just narrowly hold on to Moffat County. Look, they lost to Rez, who is a really good 3A team. And, you know, we'll keep them barely in the top 10 to see if this is going to be the worst loss of their season and if they bounce back. Or, you know, is this going to be something that is going to continue to happen? And so with that being said, let's go ahead and take a look at who Moffat County has coming up as well as the rest of these teams heading into next week. And so, or next game for some of them, since we already had a bye week discussed in another one. But Moffat County, they get a game against 1-0 Steamboat Springs. I think that this could be a huge statement game, or if their pass defense is not up to par, this could be a very terrible game and one that kicks Moffat County right out of the top 10 here. As for Elizabeth here at number nine, their next game is going to be against Burlington here, who we just saw put up a pretty good fight against La Junta down the stretch. So another solid 1A team. They win this game. They will be able to maintain their spot here in 2A. But if they lose this, they could definitely slip out of that spot. Now, four teams that are tied at number seven. We already talked about this. Platte Valley here, who barely pulls off this win against a surprising Kent Denver team out of, you know, well, I'm saying Platte Valley out of Kersey, Colorado here. Up next on the docket, they have Weld Central. This is a winnable game and one that they should maintain. And hopefully they air it out a little bit more just to get these receivers some confidence before a huge matchup against Eaton on the 10th of September. So that is something to keep in mind if you are Platte Valley is that you have a much bigger, much bigger game, pardon me, on the horizon. And so you need to prepare yourselves the best you can for that. Basalt then draws 3A Battle Mountain. Battle Mountain didn't really show a whole lot of a fight against Evergreen, which can mean one of two things here. One is that they roll over for the second week in a row against Basalt, or they come back swinging. So Basalt just got to be ready for anything and just maintain that consistency through the air. As aforementioned, Florence does draw another 1A contender in Centauri, who is down a couple of guys. This is probably a must-win game here. Well, I won't say must-win because I think that they have three very winnable games after that, and the rest of their schedule isn't as tough, but they have got to, you know, surge here 
for power rankings purposes if they wish to remain in here. Now the Academy, the only team who didn't play, they actually open up their season this Thursday against Timnif, who's a brand new program. This is a game that you should definitely win, especially after what just happened between Berthed and Timnif. This game is at home, I suppose. And so, you know, the Academy is looking to at least maintain their spot here at number five, unless someone in front of them slips up. Speaking of in front of them, La Junta will be facing Pagosa Springs. This is definitely a game you should win following the performance that Satari just had against them, 33 to Zill. So you should be able to at least win this game, if not put up a very solid performance. Now, Delta, they have a very solid game ahead of them here. They will be on the road for the first time this year against an Eagle Valley team. If Basalt can piece this team up, I have a lot of faith in Delta being able to piece this team up, and that'll be a very quality 3A win before they face another 3A team in Palisade the week after. As for Eaton High School, looking to bounce back after their first loss in a few years, like I said earlier, they draw that opponent, that rivalry, University. University, while they weren't very competitive against Delta, I would not write them off against Eaton. Everyone knows that rivalry games brings out the absolute best in both teams, so I will be cautiously keeping an eye on this game. However, Eaton should look to bounce back here. As for TCA, after scheduling one of their hardest regular season games in a few years, they will be facing Harrison, who is a classification ahead here, and so I think that this will be good practice here. I think that TCA should definitely win this game, but, you know... It is nice to get a little bit of strength of schedule from the 3A classification here. So that does it. You know, 1 through 10, TCA, Eaton, Delta, La Junta, tied for 5 is the Academy and Florence. Tied for 7 is Basalt and Platte Valley. At number 9, Elizabeth, and number 10, Moffat County. And that is going to round out our top 10 2A power rankings. Now on to 3A. Let's go ahead and take a look back on where we were in the preseason at number one, we had Roosevelt tied with Evergreen for number one. Northridge was technically number three because of the two number one teams. Green Mountain was our number four. Lutheran and Durango were tied for number five. At number seven was Palisade. At number eight was Holy Family. At number nine was Severance. And at number 10 was Frederick. So looking to this round here at number 10, Frederick is going to maintain their spot here at number 10 in a little bit of a surprise. I personally did not have them here at number 10. However, I can totally see, you know, the fact that they lost to a very quality opponent in Holy Family, and they only lost by a single point. So that is something to keep a mind of. And I think that they're going to bounce back with a few more games here. At number nine, surging back in here because we forgot about him a little bit. Well, not didn't. Not forgot about them per se, but a team that is proving us wrong so far is Mead. You know, they just won a very difficult game against a team that I was very high on in Windsor, 35 to 34. I'd even say that this was an upset. And I think that, you know, they're going to continue to prove people wrong. And, you know, they have a pretty brutal stretch and schedule, but they did find a lot of life in Danny Brewington, as I previously mentioned. And, you know, uh, Sean Medlock returning to the fold was very important. They ran crazy, and they're going to play that tough Mead defense. At number eight is Severance. They take care of Canyon City 21-5 to fairly easily. I think that, you know, I, I pushed them up just a little bit 
in my personal rank. Actually, no, I didn't. I, I left it there because Canyon City is a game that they definitely should win, but we will see a little bit of variety for them in the future. As for number six, we have a two-way tie between Lutheran and Holy Family. You know, Simon definitely vaulted Holy Family here after a very tough win over Frederick. It is a little concerning on my end to see that Ryland Cooney had so many interceptions. He had three interceptions in this game and didn't post the best passer rating. However, this was a very good performance for this Holy Family team that I think is going to remain in the top 10. And, you know, they have a decent game up next week that even if they lose as long as they stay competitive, they should maintain in the top 10. Tied for number six, you know, is Lutheran. We dropped him a little bit for losing to that Lutheran team in Missouri. However, that other Lutheran team, not to be confused with Colorado Lutheran, they went 12-2 and last season, so they're a very good program. They faced them in back-to-back -back years, and I think that facing tough teams from out of state is going to make you stronger. Iron sharpens iron in that way. So Lutheran, I don't think they're going to go away anytime soon. Taking sole possession of number five is going to be Durango High School here after absolutely stomping Farmington High School 56 to 7. They dominated on both sides of the ball in the trenches. They were just mowing people down. And yeah, they just showed a level of dominance that I don't think. Well, I wasn't really expecting that since they lost to this Farmington team just a year ago, but that was not enough to hold them back as they just popped off against Farmington and probably put the rest of the state on notice. They are definitely a contender in my eyes for this 3A level of football. Tied for the number three spot here, since there's two of them, is going to be Green Mountain. You know, Simon had them ranked at number two, so they take down a Florida team in Hollins 47 to nothing and just beat this other team to a pulp. And that is the same with the other number three team here in Northridge who just, oh my gosh, they obliterated Gateway as they should, 52 to nothing. Everyone was able to put up monster stats against this terrible Gateway team, but they have a much more interesting matchup coming up in this next week. Against a number one team, which one is it going to be since they both won this week? Well, Roosevelt and Evergreen are both tied for that number one spot. I am leaving Roosevelt at number one because they did take care of business against a very solid Palisade team here who, you know, was in the top 10 prior to this game. And, uh, you know, they showed great balance on offense. Bronco Hartson absolutely shredded this Palisade secondary in his debut, finding three receivers for scores. Well, actually two receivers since 3A MVP of last season. Tucker Peterson took over in this game and had a couple of touchdown receptions himself as for the another the other number one team i should say on this 3a level is evergreen they blasted battle mountain 56 to 8 but they will have a much tougher game this next week and so what am i doing talking about who people are going to face this next week when i have these schedules right in front of me we can go ahead and start at that number 10 spot and look at who frederick has for next week following a tough loss to holy family they have a game on the road against monarch this is a game that they should definitely win following monarch's loss to stanley lake last week at the number nine spot mead has another tough game against a top 10 opponent in lutheran you know 
there is a very decent chance that whoever loses this game could potentially be on the outside of the top 10 looking in. However, I think that this will be a very interesting game and Lutheran will have to be on the road in this one, which is something to definitely note for this next week. For Severance here, they do have a tougher game against our number or tied for number three spot, Green Mountain team. This is going to be in Green Mountain's home territory, so Severance will have to travel on the road, and this will be their first big welcome to 3A, and the schedule will not get easier from there uh, for a few weeks. So that is... Uh, they're going to have to win one of these next four games that is against Green Mountain, Mead, Eaton, and Evergreen. Very, very tough schedule looking ahead for Severance, but we'll see how the Silver Knights do. Holy Family, on the other hand, after pulling off a very narrow victory against Frederick, will face 4A Broomfield. This will be a battle of Broomfield of sorts here. Both teams got dubs last week. Broomfield winning very big against another 4A squad in Longmont. So this will be a very interesting game to follow. As I said for Lutheran, they obviously are going to face the number nine spot here mead so that should be a very interesting game as for durango coming up in this next week they are going to be facing the piedra vista i don't know what their mascot is because they're from new mexico so forgive me panthers they're going to be facing the panthers the panthers are two and oh so far to start the season so maybe this will be a little bit of a better test they beat farmington by 20 points and they beat sandia by two points this looks like a game that durango technically on paper should win to start off their three game stretch against teams in new mexico to start their season as I mentioned before, Green Mountain at number three here. They are going to face that Severance squad at home. Northridge here gets to face the number one or tied for number one team, Evergreen here. This is a game that we are actually going to be attending up in Greeley, Colorado. If you are out there, don't be afraid to come say hello. We are very excited for this game and it is going to be an absolutely monumental matchup here and one that is going to affect these rankings big time this early in the season now as for the last number one team here roosevelt will be facing kennedy in denver this is going to be probably a win for roosevelt after their performance against palisade and uh you know one thing that they will be tested on i suppose that is going to be a little bit different from palisade you know malachi espinosa threw two touchdowns to only one interception and kennedy has one of the most talented quarterbacks in 3a in isaac cisneros so that is going to be something to maybe monitor but that is our 3A power rankings tied for number one, Roosevelt and Evergreen. Tied for number three, Green Mountain and Northridge. At the number five spot in sole possession is Durango. Tied for number six is Lutheran and Holy Family. At number eight is Severance, who maintains their spot. Number nine is Mead. And at number 10 is Frederick. You wonder why there's three sets of ties here? Well, it's because 3A is probably the most closely contested level of football here. And we are very excited to be covering it. And that is our 3A power rankings. Now we're getting to the part that I know a lot of you have been waiting for. But, uh, you know, go ahead and listen to those 1 through 3A teams. Learn about some of that football culture. But here on 4A, it was a crazy, crazy week here. In the preseason polls here that are going to be very shaken up. We had Erie, number one, Dakota Ridge, number two, Palmer Ridge, number three, Loveland, four, Pueblo West, five, 
Vista Ridge 6, Fruita Monument 7, Denver South 8, Windsor 9, and Skyline and Montrose tied for number 10. There are a lot of teams that will remain in this top 10, but there are definitely going to be some new faces following what went down this past week. And so these are definitive. Everyone is one for one here, not a single tie because Simon and I had very different polls. But like I said, what happens here is that, you know, we add up all the points here and then go from there. And so at number 10, we have Broomfield who breaks into the top 10 following a very solid win over Longmont High School. While this is, you know, a game that they definitely should win with as much talent that Longmont lost, it was still a very great win to have. Cola Crew played great. The running game was there. This looked like a very balanced attack for a Broomfield squad that definitely dominated. At the number nine spot, clinging to their spot in the top 10 and tumbling quite a few spots here from where they were is Vista Ridge. They are going to retain their spot in the top 10 because... I mean, why the heck were they so sloppy? I mean, Legend definitely stepped up with a lot of underclassmen, but I mean, throwing three picks and losing four fumbles is absurd. It's absurd to turn the ball over seven times if you're a team of the caliber at Vista Ridge. I expect this to be fixed by next week, and if it isn't, Vista Ridge is in trouble of not only falling out of the power rankings, but I mean, if they keep turning the ball over that many times a week, they will not make the playoffs. But Losing 47 to 43 after turning the ball over seven times is is pretty good that they were able to still score 43 points and remain competitive in that game. Fruit of Monument is going to remain at number eight here. They did get a win over Grand Junction Central. However, 14 to seven was not the caliber of win that we were expecting here out of Fruit of Monument. We we're expecting a bigger win over a Grand Junction Central squad. And so, you know, their spot is definitely at risk here at the number eight spot since they do face a very solid Montrose squad this next week. Dakota Ridge takes a tumble from number two to number seven. They did lose to Pueblo West on the road. That was number five. It's not the worst loss to have. I had them a little bit higher, but the front seven of this Dakota Ridge team did impress. Go ahead and listen to the game recap from Coach V, but they are going to have to you know, string some things together and they're going to have to play a little bit tougher to win back that momentum in the top 10. This was their first regular season loss in a while, but maybe it is good to lose in a playoff atmosphere game. At number six, there was a little bit of a tumble for Loveland here. I still had them rated kind of high. I think that losing to Fossil Ridge by a single point isn't the worst loss to have, especially since this 5A program is going to be very beloved or at least by me, for the power rankings here in this in the 5A bracket. But, you know, they I prided them on their defense and thought that they were going to challenge Fossil Ridge a little bit more than 36 to 35. Now, that is a very talented aerial attack, but there are lots of talented aerial attacks in the 4A classification. And so if they do want to improve from there and actually be a contender, they are going to have to have the secondary step up significantly. At number five, a new face here, Ponderosa jumping into the top 10 with a solid win over Erie High School. I think that, you know, this defense went absolutely berserk. And then Zach Stryker and Ethan Rodriguez stepped up big time on offense for Ponderosa. These were, you know, a little bit of a question mark from last year, especially Zach Stryker. We weren't sure if this was going to be the guy moving forward, especially after their 
Andrew Heidel, freshman quarterback from last year, moved to Florida. But I mean, Zach Stryker did all that he needed to do, running the ball and throwing the ball efficiently. And this defense just swarmed this eerie team. At number four, we got Denver South. This team beat Skyline, who was tied for 10th in our preseason rankings. And they went on two separate 21-point runs. The offense is very explosive. Chevelle Early wasn't playing this game, but backup Orlando Guevara was very explosive. His speed is going to be dynamic in this game. And so once they have two running backs that, you know, are arguably number one options, they have a little bit of lightning and thunder in this Denver South backfield. This is going to be a very balanced team that also boasts a quarterback that can rip off 50-yard games, gains like he did in that skyline game for the full recap make sure to listen to that segment at number three we do have eerie dropping from one to three here you know simon noted that the loss to ponderosa wasn't exactly surprising uh ponderosa was a team that could definitely play spoiler and challenge eerie that may have gone in a slightly overconfident and uh, if it wasn't for teams behind them losing or not winning games by as much as they could i'd drop eerie further which is what i did but for now, they're at number three and they need to be focused because they do face a solid Mullen squad here that is waiting for them. At one and two, to probably no one's surprise here, at one Palmer Ridge, number two Pueblo West. We're going to talk about Pueblo West here first. Like I said, listen to the full recap, but they did beat Dakota Ridge and now they are taking their spot. Their offense found contributors. This is noted by Coach V. Their offense found players outside their quarter step up and their defense flashed championship level ability. The emergence of Brock Keck, a six foot five sophomore receiver, along with the elite play of Jacob Trader on both sides of the ball should scare other team slash contenders. Gage Martinez was not even playing this game, so they aren't even at full power. The only reason I don't put them at number one is because I had Palmer Ridge ahead of them and Palmer Ridge also won, but they'll get their chance to take on Palmer Ridge later this season. Palmer Ridge at number one. It was a close one, but Derek Hester made significant strides this offseason and has Palmer Ridge put at this number one spot. He ran very, very well against this Montrose defense, and he also threw the ball efficiently, not turning the ball over. That is exactly what you want out of your quarterback, and that's something that he struggled with last year, especially in the postseason. And so with one and two being upset and Palmer Ridge at three, it naturally makes sense for them to slide up to number one. So let's go ahead and take a look at who these teams all face next week. At number 10, you know, Broomfield is going to be facing Holy Family, as noted in the 3A segment. This is a game that they should definitely win. While this is a tough 3A squad, there's a very solid opportunity for Broomfield to maintain their spot here in the top 10. As for Vista Ridge, they have a game against another 5A team in Far Northeast Warriors here. They're going to have to step up on the defensive side of the ball since Far Northeast did run for 400 yards against Westminster. So their defense has got to play better and they have got to not turn the ball over seven freaking times. As for Fruita Monument, this is a big game. Montrose was just recently inside the top 10 and they're itching to get back in after a very solid contest against Palmer Ridge. This is a winnable game for Montrose and Fruita Monument has to be on their stuff in order to pull this game out. They do have the advantage of playing at home. As for our number seven team, Dakota Ridge, it does not get a lot easier here as they face 5A powerhouse Columbine. They are 
very well respected in our rankings as well as in state rankings and they took care of business against Mullen last week this is going to be a game at home however Columbine is really not that far from Dakota Ridge so I imagine this being a very well attended game and a very tough game one where the front seven will be challenged significantly both on the offensive and defensive line with the style of football that Columbine plays but you know they can really round it out here and uh show us some real grit by potentially pulling off what I would call an upset over Columbine. For Loveland here, they're going to go back down and face Mountain View here. This is on the road, but this game is in Loveland. They are going to throttle Mountain View and maintain their spot in the top 10. Calling it now. Ponderosa here at number 5. Uh, allegedly still in this 5A, 4A kind of weird crossover here. Maybe they're going to make a jump to 5A like... Pine Creek did, but they have Chaparral. I think that this is a very winnable game, especially if he took care of business against Erie. And this Chaparral team just got blanked out by a Rocky Mountain team that I think is inferior to this Ponderosa squad. So Ponderosa probably going to be 2-0 here and maintain their spot in the top 10. At number four, Denver South. I think that they have an easier game against Denver East than Skyline. Denver East did put up 21 points and, you know, did play a pretty solid Smoky Hill team in the last week's game but uh denver south here i definitely have favored to win this game as for erie like i said they have a tough matchup here their schedule does not get easier from here their next few games are mullen montrose broomfield windsor loveland those are all potential playoff teams on their respective levels before maybe getting a break once they get into league but i mean mullen here you can't be too careful against this mullen team that is very well coached and has some good size up front they're going to have to play significant, significantly better on the offensive line if they're going to have a better chance here and they're going to have to have their three-star quarterback and other offensive talent take a step forward if they're going to try and maintain their spot here at three. Pueblo West here at the two spot. They get to face Pueblo County. Pueblo County coming off a pretty solid win last week over Pueblo South, but I think that Pueblo West is the favorite to win this crosstown rivalry here and at number one palmer ridge here they do get what i think is a slightly easier game but one that they should still be on their toes for against mesa ridge who did put up 55 points this past week so palmer ridge is going to have to play solid defense but not against a wing t this time but against the air attack so we will see how palmer ridge's defense fares and best of luck to all these 4a teams i'm excited for another week of crazy shakeups and before we get to that next week, obviously, we have our 5A power rankings coming up next. And so there's not too much movement here on the 5A level, but I will talk about last week's or the preseason power rankings, where in 5A we had Cherry Creek 1, Valor Christian 2, Regis Jesuit 3, Columbine 4, Grandview 5, Pine Creek 6, Rouson Valley 7, Thunder Ridge 8, Fairview 9, and Arvada west 10 so let's go ahead and jump into it and talk about our new top 10 here starting at number 10 is actually a two-way tie at number nine here fairview and rock canyon fairview did beat highlands ranch this is a game where they were supposed to win but highlands ranch played them pretty close so a win will keep them in the top 10 now rock canyon on the other hand beat what i thought was a pretty solid pooter team that returned a lot of talent 40 to 8 and just controlled the game their defense was going ballistic collecting eight sacks 
And then the run game was moving the chains and they did throw the ball a couple of times. So Rock Canyon, they were just outside of our top 10 before and they have now snuck in. And part of that is due to the win that our number seven team got that I'll talk about just here in a second. Ralston Valley here, they just slide to number eight since they lost to the number one team by two touchdowns. I think that they were pretty competitive in this game against Cherry Creek. I'm gonna go have to look at the film just to see, but I think that this was not a the worst debut from Jared Yanacito, and they showed that they could be competitive in this game. Uh, they gotta just, you know, there, there's some work to be done to bridge that gap between them and the favorite for 5A this year. As for number seven, Thunder Ridge survives a very close game against a very solid Arvada West squad. They beat them 34 to 28, and Arvada West was ranked in the top 10. They just slide outside of the top 10 with Thunder Ridge winning. But, uh, you know, this game, this Thunder Ridge team ran crazy over Arvada West, running, I think, for over 300 yards. However, I am looking that the quarterback play was not very good in this game. Cooper only posted a 38.4 quarterback rating and was just wildly inconsistent and pretty sloppy, not throwing for a single touchdown and throwing an interception this game. However, maybe that can be enough when your run game is that good, but also I don't think it is sustainable since Arvada West did throw for over 300 yards. They threw for over 300 yards on this Fairview secondary. So, you know, you're not going to be able to pull out these type of games week in and week out. You've got to clean something up. And I think that the most glaring weakness, other than the secondary struggling against this very solid team, is the quarterback play. But for now, they will remain inside of our top 10 at number 7. At number 6 is Pine Creek. They're going to maintain their spot here since they absolutely blew out Las Vegas. Backups were getting in. And life was good in Vegas. Viva Las Vegas and Viva La Pine Creek following a 43-3 win. At number five, or I should say number four, tied here, is a tie between Columbine and Grandview. I had Columbine ranked at number three personally because, you know, their dominance against Mullen was very showing. They did not throw the ball a single time. They did not. They did not throw the ball once and beat Mullen by multiple scores so I think that that's a huge statement win and they are getting huge you know contributions from guys that we weren't necessarily counting on I was counting on Josh Schneider however Mark Wayne Taylor was going ballistic for this Columbine backfield and so I think that that is reason enough to have them up here and then Grandview you know they did what they were supposed to beating Overland 41 to 6 in dominant fashion but they have a much tougher test coming up this next week against Fossil Ridge. But those are our number four teams. At number three is Valor Christian. I had him sliding back a little bit here, but Simon's keeping them at number three um, where Simon had them before the season. And, you know, they did lose a pretty tough game to Regis, 23 to 17 in overtime. But <sighs> Valor, I don't know. They looked very sloppy in this game. Multiple fumbles, bad interceptions, terrible turnovers. They are going to have to clean that up if they're going to want to bounce back. And coach Brett McGatlin is still looking for his first win with this program. With that being said, at the number two spot, who else other than Regis Jesuit, who capitalizes off of a very solid defensive line here and a very clutch performance by quarterback Xander Carroll, who was running the rock very, very well down the stretch. 
for this Regis Jesuit team to initially set up a game-winning field goal. When that missed, the defense stepped up and forced Valor to kick a field goal in overtime that they missed. And then Xander Carroll, on the very first play of overtime, just dots up his tight end, Grayson McPherson, to give Regis their very first win against Valor since 2010. They should continue to ride this momentum and have some serious confidence heading into their out-of-state matchup this upcoming week. And as for out-of-state matchups, that is what our next team here has this next week in Cherry Creek. They beat Rouston Valley, like I said. And uh, yeah, I mean, they're, st they're still the favorites and they're still going to be number one until proven otherwise. And they may even maintain that number one spot following this next week here where we're going to go over schedules where they have St. Edwards. Now, their win against Rouston Valley was very quality, but, you know... This game is going to be in Ohio. They're going to face a team out of state for the second year in a row. And I think iron sharpens iron is their idea here. St. Edward is a very talented program that went 15 and one last year, I think, including national games. So that is something to keep an eye on here. Regis, as I mentioned, has a game against out of state competition against Oaks Christian. This was a team that Valor pieced up last year now that valor team was very talented last year so we will see how they face off against this oaks christian team that is currently sitting at one and one following a loss to chaminade 24 17 but a big win over sierra canyon 38 to 21 valor christian this next week will be facing off against pine creek this is going to be one of the biggest games in the entire state obviously between three and six this is pine creek's true welcome party to 5a football in my opinion and this will be a very interesting game between two teams that really like to run the ball now cameron cooper showed some serious poise and precisiveness in their game against las vegas however this valor this valor secondary is going to be a little bit tougher but showed that they were vulnerable to regis's speed if some of those deep passes connected that Valor game would have looked a lot different against Regis. So look for Pine Creek to maybe take advantage of some of the looks that they get against this, you know, Valor secondary that has shown that maybe it's vulnerable. But, you know, still at number three until proven otherwise. Columbine here this next week. I mentioned it in the 4A position here. Does face off against Dakota Ridge that comes off against a very tough loss to a solid Pueblo West team. Now, Columbine, I think that up front that they are just going to be too big and too strong for this Dakota Ridge team. However, their secondary will be tested a little bit more than against Mullen, and I expect a much closer game. Grandview here, like I said, has a interesting game against Fossil Ridge, who put up 36 points last week. Now, I think that this is like two great offenses here, but, uh, you know, the defense of Grandview might give them the edge in this game i think that it's worth noting that i personally had fossil ridge at number 10 following their win over loveland but we will see if this front seven can you know disrupt the fossil ridge attack more or less than the loveland front seven could as for thunder ridge they do have a game against douglas county who is also one to know this game is going to be on the road in douglas county it'll be an interesting game and, uh, you know, I think that this defense for Douglas County is better than the defense for Arvada West. However, I don't think that the offense for Douglas County is as talented as Arvada West. So, you know, this might be a lower scoring affair, but uh, definitely one that I think will be one in the trenches and one where we'll see quarterback play maybe play a bigger role for Thunder Ridge. Ralston Valley, their next game is in Florida. They are facing Colonial based out of Orlando. They have fared pretty well in their out-of-state games in 
you know the history of their school and hopefully this won't be any different colonial did lose to windermere 3 to 14 and considering that windermere lost to smoky hill last year if i'm going to go through this guy beat this guy so this guy wins rawson valley should win this game and maintain their spot in the top 10 fairview this next week has another very winnable game on the road against lakewood I'm not even going to dive into that, really. And then as for Rock Canyon this next week, they do face Smoky Hill. This will be a rematch of Rock Canyon's very first playoff win in school history. And this Smoky Hill team came off of a very solid win over Denver East 40-21. So I think that both these teams are going to be very competitive, and this will be very solid of a game to catch. 4-30 at Legacy Stadium for Smoky Hill to be the home team. And so just to go over our top 10 again, as to no one's surprise, Cherry Creek 1, Regis Jesuit 2, Valor Christian takes a drop here to 3. Tied at number 4 is Columbine and Grandview. At the number 6 spot is Pine Creek looking to move up with a matchup against Valor this upcoming week. At number 7 is Thunder Ridge, tied for number 9. So, you know, that 8-9 uh, kind of spot is Fairview and Rock Canyon. Now, this is going to be a very interesting season here um, for for a handful of these teams. I mean, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Um, and I think at number 10 here, I'm just going to say Fossil Ridge is number 10 because that's only 8 and 9. So, number 10, I'm going to say Fossil Ridge following their big win against Loveland. Lots of top 10 matchups coming up this week. And that does it for our PMC Power Rankings following week one. Stay tuned for our Playmakers of the Week on every classification, as well as a few honorable mentions. Coming up. Hey, quite the episode from this first week of football. I think that as things start to settle down, maybe they'll get a little bit shorter here, but no need to count on it because... There's is probably my favorite part of doing these episodes, and that is the playmakers of the week here. So we're going to go ahead and start off in 1A. There are a few honorable mentions here. Casey Brink out of Meeker had a really good game in that one against North Fork. David Fouts out of Platte Canyon threw four touchdowns, no interceptions in Platte Canyon's win. And then Brady Cooper, the quarterback of Cedar Ridge, had a good game both through the air and on the ground for Cedar Ridge. However, I'm going to give the playmaker of the week to Trayton Marks out of Lyman, who tallied 10 tackles, seven of those being total or solo, I should say, three tackles for loss slash three sacks and three hurries in a 20 to three win over big time Florence. This was a huge win for this Lyman team that is a bit on the younger side here. And Trayton Marks has shown incredible ability here at the end position to absolutely wreck a game both in the run game and in the pass game so that is your 1a playmaker of the week Trayton Marks out of Lyman for 2a player of the week there are some honorable mentions here one of them being Howdy Johnson for Platte Valley following that comeback win over Kent Denver where he just took over the game down the stretch or Ethan Stone out of Elizabeth who ran for over 200 yards in that win against Devlin both were very impressive. However, I am going to give the slight edge here to arguably the biggest impact player of the week and our very first kicker playmaker of the week, Evan Lapour out of TCA here, who went, like I said earlier in the episode, four of four in field goals made. Also made his extra point attempt, leading for a perfect five of five on kicks. 
a long of 42, an overall 13 of TCA's 19 points in their 19 to 16 win over number one Eaton when a field goal is what determines the final score of this game. There's obviously going to be a ton of credit given to the kicker. And just with the scale of this matchup on the 2A level, I figured it was time for our very first kicker playmaker of the week. In 3A, there is definitely some interesting contributions here. Benson White out of Conifer had a very solid performance against the defending 3A state champs in Conifer's win over Fort Morgan. Christian Love out of Northfield led them to their first victory in 3A over 4A Aurora Central and one of the biggest upsets of the week. Christian Love getting it done through the air and the ground. And then Danny Brewington, a running back for Meade, ran ballistic over this very tough Windsor defense in what was a one-point win for Meade over a 4A squad in Windsor. However, there are a ton of other contributors in that Meade game. So I'm going to give the Playmaker of the Week to Jude Suhajda out of Discovery Canyon here. I'm very sorry if I butchered that last name, Jude. However, what I can't butcher is these stats, these numbers, and this win. Nine total tackles, three tackles for loss, a forced fumble, and a fumble recovery over Lewis Palmer. Look, Discovery Canyon, this was a very solid win out the gate for them. And, you know, I don't think that this would be possible without Jude getting it done on the trenches in both sides of the football. On the 4A level, this one was really hard. You had, you know absolutely bonkers performances out of a few quarterbacks here bryce real out of mesa ridge being one of them throwing for five touchdowns cole lacrue throwing three touchdowns in that win over longmont garrett creeler also for broomfield having a very solid game on the defensive side of the ball and then joseph capra who i believe is leading the state in touchdowns with six total touchdowns but i am just going to very narrowly Give the edge here to Jacob Trader. You know, Simon stressed his importance here in this marquee game over Dakota Ridge. He was massive on both sides of the football and is, you know, the reason why Pueblo West, or one of the big reasons, I should say, why Pueblo West is number two in our power rankings. You know, he did tote the rock quite a few times in this victory over Dakota Ridge, you know, 13 times for 93 yards and a score. He also, or my bad, that was against Grand Junction, 16 times for 128 yards and a score against Dakota Ridge. But on the defensive side of the ball, he was highly responsible for shutting down or slowing down this very explosive Dakota Ridge offense, having 10 tackles that were solo, three assisted tackles, 13 total, and a tackle for loss, as well as forcing a fumble during this game overall had two touchdowns in that dakota ridge game collectively rushing for one and catching one so with everything he was able to do through the ground air and on defense that is a collective playmaker of the week for jacob trader that one 4a was the hardest one for me you know in 5a there is a handful of contributors you know uh demetrius perea in north glenn was a massive contributor on the defensive side of the ball in their 27 to 7 win over the adams city squad jake stonebreaker for douglas county also had a very solid game on both sides of the ball here laying down some seriously big hits and also running very tough and then Alexander carroll for Regis Jesuit played very, very well down the stretch to give Regis their first win over Valor Christian 
However, I am going to give the 5A Playmaker of the Week to Tyler Kubat. 22 of 32, 375 yards, four touchdowns to one pick. But the real edge here for Tyler is throwing that game-winning touchdown throw to Trek Keyworth, who, by the way, ran a very sweet route on the game winner and had a monster game himself, as did a few other receivers. But Tyler Kubai overcoming that very vicious Loveland defense and leading this, you know, Fossil Ridge squad to a win. I would be surprised if we don't hear a lot of these guys' names again later in the season or even next week. But that is going to be our Playmakers of the Week. Once again, running through it. 1A, Trayton Marks. 2A, Evan Lapour. 3A, Jude Suhajda. And 4A, Jacob Trader. And last but not least in 5A, Tyler Kubot. Please make sure if you want to potentially be a Playmaker of the Week candidate, you know, we can only see so many games in a week as well as have word of mouth going for us. So please encourage your coaches potentially to enter in stats as quickly as they can. That is something that definitely helps us out. And then post any film that you have. This is going to be consistent for the entire season. We are already thinking about our top five senior list here. So definitely, definitely post your film every single week if you can or quick highlights of it. Include your entire game in there. If you're a running back, include any blocking film that you might have. That is going to be important. If you're a quarterback, include maybe incompletions where your receiver wasn't quite there so that we can really fully analyze your game and build our top five lists. We are going to try and see most of our watch list guys throughout the season if and when we can, but it does help us out if Max Preps and your huddle is updated through Tyler Kubot's Twitter is where I decided to give him the edge. Him and Jake Stonebreaker were very helpfully helped out by the film that I was actually able to see. And then Alexander Carroll, Carroll is someone who I saw in real life. Jacob Trader was helped out by being seen in real life, but also posting some highlights pretty soon after so that I could witness it and give the edge to him over Joseph Capra, who I also saw in real life. So, you know, I saw a lot of these players. Simon saw a lot of these players play this past week. That is half of it. And then just putting together a complete solid performance. And then if you have video, obviously that helps out tremendously. And woo, that will do it for this week of Playmakers Corner. Please make sure to follow us on TikTok where we are going to be posting, you know, kind of like highlight clip show real things of the games that we go and see on Thursdays, Fridays, and Saturdays. Our games of the week this week. On Thursday, I'm going to see Horizon versus Eagle Crest. On Friday, both Coach V and myself will be traveling to Strasbourg for Wiggins versus Strasbourg. And then we will be in Greeley on Saturday night to watch Northridge versus Evergreen in a marquee matchup. But thank you so much for tuning in this episode. You are probably listening on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Anchor. Please make sure to follow, subscribe, like, whatever you got to do on those to get notifications for whenever we post new episodes. We're going to have these weekly recaps every single week. And then we are probably going to start our player breakdowns sooner than later. So please be sure to fill out the link tree in our bio with film that you have and constantly update your huddle just so you get the maximum amount of film and response from us. You can find updates of episodes being posted also on our social medias. That is Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, where we post all of those. That's either at Playmakers Corner on Facebook and Instagram, or it's just at Playmaker Corner on Twitter. But all in all, 
Thank y'all so much for the support. Thank you for those who are grateful for everything that we do. We really are doing this for the players and for the promotion of Colorado football. So we hope that it's all love and respect within our communities. We are more than happy to be proven wrong. So just keep on that grind, keep working and uh, try and show appreciation for those around you who are trying to pull you up and don't drag others down. Cody Stoffer signing off on this week.